What's up, everybody? Welcome back to I Came With Fire podcast. A couple of familiar faces here. Zach, still here with us. Uh, red beard, looks like. You got some red in your beard. Kind, kind of. of. And then, of Luke. course, Luke. Luke Caverns is here again. How are you, brother? I'm doing well, man. Um, just uh, kind of a lot of things uh, stirring in the pot lately. Um, Hell yeah. A lot of new projects I'm working on. Some I can't speak about, some I can um, mm-hmm. I really try and do expand like what I'm doing on YouTube lately. So I, I, my output's been kind of slow. Um, but, uh, but it's really going to ramp up probably in April when I get back from my, um, uh, I'm going on an Olmec expedition in, in March. So have you, have you ever seen the Olmec heads before? Oh yes. yeah. 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 So I'm doing, so I'm doing an Olmec expedition for like two and a half weeks. Um, and then when I come back, I've got a, like a, a few new series for YouTube, uh, th- that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Like I can talk about. So yeah, I'm just super busy, and I just uh, my wife and I just moved into a new home, so that's why my backdrop is like a complete mess right now. Um, I think you're so- supposed to look like a little bit of a mess as like the anthropologist who's like just coming out of the jungle. It's very Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. Just um, been going well, but kind of like so busy that I can't possibly keep up with everything. You know. Yeah, it's good though. That is, man. That's that's really exciting. I'm really excited to to hear about your adventures and everything that you're doing. But um, first thing I want to say is, dude, you were on episode 23. Okay, mm-hmm. that was your episode, and then this is episode 46, right? So 23 plus 23 is 46. So just adding to the lore of Luke Caverns <laughs> going to the jungle, right? We're gonna play a video. Because every twenty three episodes, Luke oh shows up. This is this is kind of what this is like. Go ahead, Zach. Ryan, how many years have I been saying you and I should go berry picking? A lot of years, Stewie. Wait a minute. Do you know where we are, Brian? This is a very special place. They say once every hundred years in this spot, <laughs> Donnie Most rises from the mist. Uh, I think that's just a legend. Well, that's because you're <gasps> Luke. This is Luke. <laughs> Luke coming out of the mist. There the he is. Jungle. There he is. He's coming out of South America. New <laughs> oh <God>. caverns. <laughs> Imagine people just chanting your name while you rise from the mist. Oh my God! It's true. Actually, it's Don most now. Actually, it's it's Lucas Caverns now. <laughs> oh my god, dude! All right, you can kill it, Zach. That's it, dude. So you have to come back every twenty three episodes, apparently, because yep. we have to keep up with this sure. trend. So sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every twenty third episode. Yeah, you guys let me know. Twenty three, isn't that like one of those weird numbers? They made that Jim Carrey movie twenty three. Isn't that what that is? I think like satanic or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like probably. A, I think it's oh, a satanic it? number. Yeah, that that that's why. Well, let's not go oh. there. Yeah, no, <laughs> Luke isn't satanic. That's for sure. Nope. So yeah, yeah. well, maybe maybe on the uh, the next episode we'll have to like recover, um, or we'll have to we'll have to cover our adventures on uh, on the new Battlefront that's coming out. Mm-hmm. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yes, the old new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, <laughs> that's like the uh, like twenty year old new game that's coming out. Right. Perfect. Perfect, dude. It is. That's the perfect segue into what I was going to ask. But first, I would say your your YouTube series Stone Jungle is is really really good. I yeah. like it. I like it too. You could tell that like you're just kind of doing your thing and recording. So like 
everything you're talking about is is super just organic. I like I like mm-hmm. that. You didn't like script it. So it's really good. Yeah, well, uh yeah, most of it wasn't like I had an idea, you know, I would sit there and kind of collect my thoughts while we were there, but I would tell, uh, I tell my buddy, my cameraman, Eli, I'd be like, okay, turn, you know, turn the camera on and we'll, we'll film this mm-hmm. right now. But, um, but uh, yeah, you know, a lot of things like, like when we were filming there, I didn't go walk through what we were about to film. It just all was happening right then. If that, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes. I mean, and the crazy episodes haven't even come out yet. There's, um, mm like 19 episodes. And I think I'm on episode five now or five or six have come out. Um, mm-hmm. and some of those are, are members only on YouTube, but, um, but the majority are going to be, uh, fully public and do the last one. Um, the last one is, is I'm, I'm hoping that it, that it's going to be a big, um, a big episode. It's, uh, you know, some people are like, uh, some people are, are critical in the comments. They're like, oh, you're not actually discovering a lost city. The people have actually been there, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, well, I was there for two weeks. Did you think that every single day that I was there, I was going to see ruins that no one's ever seen before? You know? Right. Um, but on the last day of the expedition, it actually happened. And it was all on camera. Um, mm, holy and, crap. Uh, yeah. So that's that's the last episode. Um, and, uh, it's the last episode and it happened by accident. So, so Mm. that expedition was actually more of like sightseeing, but I knew that when we were there, we were going to, we were going to be at like a major Maya site in, in Southern Mexico. Um, I knew that we were going to be at a bunch of different major Maya sites that I needed to see for myself, but I knew that while we were there, we would venture out like into the jungle a little bit and see things Mm -hmm. that you know, the vast majority of people have never seen and we were going to get it on camera. I didn't expect that we would document a city that has no name that only some local people know about. And really the only local people that know about it are people who have like dug up the tombs out there and have like looted it for all of the like artifacts that are there. Um, So other than that, other than looters and, just some people who have heard about it. No one has ever seen the site and there's no name or anything. Um, so I got that on camera. Um, I, there's a, there's an episode that hasn't come out yet where, um, where I'm going to title it something like, like I found a lost city in the jungle with using my drone or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. and I would, and I flew my drone over, uh, actually two cities that are like out in the sticks, um, not in the jungle, but they're in this Maya farmland. And it's not a documented site that has a name. Um, it's like in this really primitive, um, like impoverished farmland way out in the sticks, um, in Quintana Roo and, um, dude, huge, you know, 50 foot tall pyramids with these long, plazas and everything and i'm flying my drone like in between all the structures that are completely covered up by you know grass and hillsides and everything and um so i think that's going to be a big one so yeah there's a whole lot of stuff to come with uh with jungle of stone but yeah thank you guys for watching and enjoying and and uh yeah i appreciate that what would you name that city what would what would luke name it um, I don't know, man, because it, it's, pr- so you can name it any, if you, if you discover a lost city, which like, I couldn't name that one I, it, to, to actually be able to name one. It's like, you have to discover something that literally nobody knew about, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, okay. or that like, you know, 
some local people who are way out there that, that don't have any influence at all, mm-hmm. you know, they probably know about it, but like, uh, that nobody official has been out there to actually see it. Um, and I, that site in particular, I don't think that I could name it cause it's on somebody's private property. Um, okay. but if it's in like state park, which is what a whole lot of the jungle is like, they just say this giant, you know, several hundred mile patch of jungle is state park, but nobody uh-huh. actually goes out there cause it's so dangerous, but there's mm-hmm. cities in there. So, um, wow. you can name, if you find a city, you get to name it, whatever you want, but it has to be in Maya. Um, so I would, would need to go, you know, through a Maya dictionary and name, mm. uh, figure out what I wanted to name the city. Um, my professor, uh, Dr. Barnhart, he found a city when he was my age and, um, he found it in Northwestern Belize and, mm. um, and he found it with like a group of students. So he was an assistant professor and, mm. um, and so he takes this uh, group of students. Well, um, okay, so this is later on. But um, he spends like several years out there. Um, but his first year there, he and his partner discover a lost city. And they come up to like the main temple and living inside. Um, so in Maya pyramids, sometimes there's a temple on the top. You know, unlike Egyptian pyramids, there's really nothing at the top. Mm-hmm, um, right. So in the Maya world, there's a temple at the top. Um and uh, so there were howler monkeys living at the top of the temple. And so uh, and they were very displeased that they like squatted up there to uh, that that Dr. Barnhart and his his buddy squatted up there to eat their lunch and everything and kind of, right. you know, survey the city. And so he ended up naming the city Ma'ashana, which means monkey house. Um, <laughs> oh, that's so, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So I would I would give it some creative name, but I'd have to do. uh um, I'd have to, I'd have to give it some kind of name. Um, my, uh, um, my cameraman, he would probably, if he found a city, he would name it something like, uh, oh gosh, what is it? He thought this was so funny. There was a Maya person who taught him something to say. And it was like, it was like, it was like, it was like, uh, uh, it was something like that, but it's like, it's like bend over and smell your dog, butt. <laughs> some, oh my it's gosh. something like that, that a Maya, that some, that a Maya person taught us while we were there. Um, okay. or, or, well, the guy that we were traveling with, he's married to a Maya woman. And so he knows like all this ridiculous stuff, um, that he can say in Maya. So, uh, yeah, that's probably what he would name a city. Um, but yeah, to <laughs> well, answer your question, I have no idea. I don't well, know. We, this all this talk of like naming it and like looking up names in Maya, like how much of the Mayan language do we actually know? Is it, is um, it the same same Mayan language that they were speaking at the height of their empire? Okay, so imagine imagine this. Um, all right, so let's take like the Romance languages of mm-hmm. you know Western European societies. I don't know what all the Romance languages are, but yeah. you know let's Italian. even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Italian, Spanish, English, French, mm-hmm. and like yeah. let's include Latin. Um, yeah. And then let's multiply that by like, um, I don't know, five. Okay. So, okay. Um, you know, let's say, let's say there's like 30 some odd romance languages out there. Um, that's about how many Maya languages there were. Just, just in the Yucatan wow. Peninsula, there were about 30 Maya languages. But, we can all read and write 
Latin, if that makes sense. That's how they communicated. So, so, okay, okay. No, no, no. Okay. Say all the Romance languages exist. Latin is, is a dead language to us still, but we can all read and write it. And that's how we all mm-hmm. communicate with each other. So Latin is our common written language. That's mm-hmm. what the Maya world was like. So okay. if you were traveling from Palenque, which is deep in the jungles of Chiapas, all the way up to, say, Tulum, which is, uh, you know, next to the Caribbean, um, you can't speak the language of them, but you can all write the same language and read it. If that makes sense, like it, a it, it's a weird language. thing. So their hieroglyphs could be read by anybody, but you may not speak the same language as those people. Um, Interesting. It, which is, yeah, it's really bizarre, isn't it? Um, That's pretty so, cool. So we only know a few Maya languages, like maybe just a handful. So many of them are dead. Um, yeah. But but from the hieroglyphs, we get an idea that there was like upwards of maybe more than 27 different languages Mm -hmm. but no matter what city you go to all the hieroglyphs are the same so it's it's yeah it's kind of an interesting thing yeah that's it's like watching jungle of stone one of the things i wrote down here that you said is that the jungle landscape of ruins is a pin cushion with no more room for pins to push in which i thought was like pretty profound and it made me think about just all of the different ruins that are over there. And then you kind of compared it to medieval Europe at its height. And it mm-hmm. made me wonder, like, obviously like the concept of like countries, um, it, it didn't exist the way it does now as it did back then. Maybe after like the peace of Westphalia, they kind of, you know, part mm-hmm. partitioned off places. Was this one just like massive empire that had like cities city states mm. much like europe did or or was it something more equivalent to like maybe like a city like new york city right where it's it's the one one big community with smaller communities like boroughs right does that make sense yeah yeah so um so what would be what would be interesting for me to research is where the term uh the maya empire comes from because it's just okay. it, it's like not um it's you, I don't expect anybody to know this, but uh, it's not like correct at all. Because there wasn't like uh, a one ruler of like no, 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 no. Okay, okay. Um, they they. Be, I was gonna say, they, would it be more similar to like I guess like the Native Americans of like North America, where you just had a bunch of different like tribes with leaders, and they just kind of killed each other or coexisted based off kind of how they felt that day. Kind of. So the tribes in North America, as far as I know. Uh, like like modern day United States, um, a lot of that is based on territory and maybe not so much cities. But I'm not yeah. an expert there. Yeah. Um. So the Maya world can be like directly uh, uh, compared to the Greek world. So Greek city states. You know, okay. in ancient Greece, you've got like Athens and Sparta, and you know all these different other Greek uh, city states. And Argos. so for the life of them, literally for the life of them, they cannot be united. They cannot work mm-hmm. together at all. Um, and so the Maya world is essentially exactly the same. Um, okay. they, they, uh, they're giant cities and each city is really its own, is really its own country. If that makes sense. It's, it's yeah. it, yes. each city is its own kingdom with its own Royal families, with its own King and, uh, queens, princes, princesses, um, and they have their own lineages. Uh, so it's like, okay, so let's say studying a, a good way to a good equivalent to this is like, 
if we're going to study ancient Egypt, the simplicity of studying the chronology or the historicity of ancient Egypt is is reflects in the Nile River. So the Nile River is pretty straightforward up and down. Um, mm. And so, you know, you study ancient Egypt from Narmer or the Scorpion King. Um, so, you know, we all know like the movie Scorpion King. That was a that was a real person. Um, mm-hmm. And he existed in about 3150 B.C. And so from 3150 B.C. all the way until 30 B.C. to the death of Cleopatra, you can follow the history of ancient Egypt in one mm. solid, you know, or one straight line. Um, but ancient Greece is nothing like that. If you study mm-hmm. ancient Greece, you're looking at tons of, or I say tons, but you're looking at like, you know, a dozen different countries with a dozen different kingdoms, with a dozen different, mm-hmm. you know, forms of government, all warring against each other. They cannot be united. And eventually a very powerful and united country comes in and whoops all their asses, um, <laughs> which would be Rome. Um mm-hmm. The exact same thing happened in the Maya world. The Maya could not be united. They're the same people um, speaking uh, in some ways the same language. Like they can read and write the same, you know, they can read and write their their hieroglyphs um, the same, but um, but they just can't be united. And so that, you know, the lack of union really becomes their downfall because, Mm. Um, you know, you have three different periods of, of the Maya world. You have the pre-classic, classic, and post-classic. And so mm. pre-classic is really the Maya, like, kind of coming to grips and starting to grow. Um, and there's war, but it's not the kind of war that we're going to see during the classic period from about 200 AD to 800 AD. And then by 800 AD, the Maya world had, was torn in half. It, it was split in half, and half of the Maya world is trying to, like, um, dive into itself and embrace their full Maya heritage, that they're only going to be Maya. The other half likes to be influenced by Teotihuacan. Have you ever, have you ever heard of that? Uh, yes. So, you know, your giant pyramids in Mexico, mm-hmm. the yeah. Pyramid of the Sun, the Pyramid of the Moon, and then the Temple of Quetzalcoatl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teotihuacan is influencing the Maya world. And so half of the Maya world likes that, half of the other Maya world doesn't. And so that's a big divide. And then even mm-hmm. in those divides, the cities on either side are still warring amongst each other. So it's just like, it's an insane amount of conflict. They can never come together. So ultimately they have a collapse of society um, due to a lot of different reasons, but a lot of it because of war and because of like economic strain. So Maya society collapses. They all end up moving away from the classical period um, areas that are deeper into the jungles of Southern Mexico and like Northern Guatemala, where that thick jungle is. That's where, that's where I spend a lot of my time. Um, Mm -hmm. And they move Northern, they move uh, Northern into the Yucatan up near Merida, like over to Cancun and Tulum. And even there, man, they can't, uh, they can't stay united with each other. So eventually a, an actual empire, the Aztecs come through and Mm -hmm. whoop their ass and uh and the aztecs were about to conquer all of mesoamerica and finish off the last remaining pockets of the maya right when cortez showed up so um that's that's kind of that's kind of like how the actual that's kind of a a sweeping history of how the maya world worked and and Uh sort of why it fell you know and teotihuacan was an aztec city right 
Uh, no, no. So the, okay. so Aztecs lived there, but by the time hmm. the Aztecs, so the Aztecs, they come from somewhere in, uh, the American Southwest. So, you hmm. know, I don't know, maybe as far as, as Utah, uh, North up to Utah, but yeah, wow. Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, um, uh, West Texas, you know, maybe somewhere wow. in that area. And that's really where the Aztecs come from. But they were very like, um, they were like mercenary. It was like a mercenary tribe. And uh, and they were vicious people that were constantly cast out of wherever they try to live. So they go south, 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 out of the American Southwest through the Chihuahuan Desert. And eventually they end up like, um, they end up revolving around the Mexican Valley. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, and so eventually they push their way into the Mexican Valley, build a huge kingdom, and uh, and they form like the Triple Alliance Empire. Um, mm. And but while they're there, they discover this lost city, which they called the birthplace of the gods. And mm-hmm. the, and that city was Teotihuacan, and that city had already been abandoned for over a thousand years. So Holy they just crap. looked like giant mountains in this, you know, flat valley. So, mm-hmm. and then the Aztecs built a, they, you know, they had some um, settlement there. Um, mm-hmm. But Teotihuacan, we don't know. We, I mean, we don't know who, who built Teotihuacan. We know that they existed and we know some of the things that we did because the Maya talk about them, but we don't really, we don't even know the name of the Teotihuacan people. So now they just call them, uh, the Teotihuacanos. That's that's okay. like you know the the academic you know name Freaking for easy. it now. Yeah, it yeah. A thousand so thousand years before that time, like that's so long. That's ago. insane. And it, for it to just be abandoned, like yeah, could you they, imagine just ha- you happen upon a, a city like that? And you're like, this is it. All right, time to take over. It just uh, makes, oh, I know, man. It's 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 nuts. Like the it just it makes me wor- like, wonder about like did they did they pack up and leave? Did they die right. out from like Long some to disease? Abandoned. Were they conquered and just it was forgotten? Yeah, yeah. Well, like well, so many things. Yeah, there's this. Um, so around 800 AD, there's this. Uh, okay, have you ever have you guys ever seen the book 1177 BC? Y'all ever seen that anywhere? Mm-mm. No. It's a. Some of your viewers may know of it. It, it. Like if you go to your Barnes and if you go to Barnes and Noble or something like that a lot, or do you sure. guys have Barnes and Noble where you're at? I do. Like, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, um, it's so like you a go nationwide to thing. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just curious. Um, but uh, like we have half price books here, but I don't know that mm-hmm. half price books exist everywhere else. Like okay. sometimes it's books a million or something like that. Yeah. Um, books a million. Walden books. A lot of these places. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, we don't have Walden books in Texas at all. Uh, we don't okay. have books a million either. It's just Barnes and Noble and half price. Those but, aren't American um, enough, I guess. So if you go in there and you go to your uh, world history section, you go to ancient history, you're going to see a book called 1177 BC. It's just, it's like in every major bookstore. Um, okay. And it's like one of your staple ancient history books. It's a real short book, um, but it's about the collapse of uh, the Bronze Age. And okay. um, and it's it's just, it's listing a number of factors that contributed to an age of civilization that just ended. Like it just, mm-hmm. it's just society everywhere collapsed. Right. The, all of the economies collapsed and there was a dark age after that. And, mm-hmm. 
it's really hard to, um, you know, nobody knows quite why the Bronze Age ended. Well, nobody knows why the classical period of Mesoamerica ended either. There's a whole list of different um, contributors. So like I was saying, war, right? Um, yeah. But the Maya world falls apart around 800 AD because of war. But we also see Zapotec and Teotihuacan culture fall at the exact same time as well. And they were not wrapped up in the Maya civil wars, um, which funny enough, they're not civil wars. They were actually called Star Wars. I don't know if, if you guys knew that. That's uh, a so, real battlefront. So, so the t- <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the term Star Wars comes from the Maya. That was the name of their wars during okay. during the seven during the eighth century AD. Um, okay. And and the rebel base in A New Hope is this is the Maya city of Tikal. So you, you guys, wow. yeah, you, you can look that up. Like, do you remember, do you remember when the guy is like, he's sitting up over the jungle and he's got the, he's got the, like the rebel uh, guy wearing the white hat. Mm-hmm. He's sitting up over the jungle and he's watching the ships fly out with the binoculars. Do you remember yeah. that? Um, yes. On, Isn't on that... Yavin, so Yavin 4 yeah. is in the jungles of Central America. And if you yep. go back and watch that, there are Maya ruins right there. So Star Wars comes from yeah. the Maya. And Yavin 4 is just the city of Tikal, which was the main city during the actual yeah. Star Wars. So I knew the yeah. set piece. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I did not so, know that. Yeah, so so the wars that ended the classical Maya period were called the Star Wars. Um, and so you know, nobody, we don't really know why they called them the Star Wars either. Um, it's kind of obvious, like why they use the name, but we don't really know what exactly that's being attributed to because the Maya, they were all astronomers. So Mm -hmm. every city studied the stars, all of their cities are astronomically aligned. And so, um, you know, it's like, well, okay. Yeah. I can see that they would call it the star Wars, but we don't really know why. So, and so that's the name of their civil war. Right. But they're also, um, they're also cutting down too many trees around their cities, uh, to create, um, uh, to create stucco that like lines and decorates their their buildings and makes their buildings look really nice. Um, they're also poisoning their own reservoirs um, with uh, cinnabar and Maya blue paint and green paint. And they're, mm-hmm. yeah, they're poisoning their own reservoirs and destroying their own water supplies. Um, uh, they have, they have allowed these like dynastic families, these, you know, these Supreme rulers um, to rule over them for so long and all of the normal Maya people are just like any other kingdom. They kind of get pushed to the wayside and a lot of them are really poor. Um, a lot of them start to resent the dynastic families. And so towards the end of the, towards the end of the eighth century. So this, the end of the 700s BC leading up to eight or 700 AD leading up to 800 AD, we start to see the dynastic families depict themselves on hieroglyphs um, up to this point, the only people you ever saw in hieroglyphs were not even the Maya gods. It was the it was the dynastic families, these divine mm. kings, right? And they always depicted themselves like stoically, you know, uh, kind of like a pharaoh. You know what I mean? A two D right. depiction of a pharaoh like this, and and mm-hmm. they're essentially uh, exalting themselves, right? Well, then all of a sudden we see them depicting themselves kind of delegating with the people and talking to the people and written in the hieroglyphs is that, you know, they're kind of he's they're trying to now appease the people that they have neglected for 
the past, you know, six centuries or something. Um, Don't want an uprising. So, yeah. So it's, so it's, it's leading, you know, it's kind of alluding to like, why would there be an uprising? Because the economy is hurting because there's so much war. So you can kind of see that like the institutions that the Maya world had are starting to fall apart. And up to this point though, people follow the dynastic families because they have the blessings of the Maya God. Well, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe the omen that was the final straw for the Maya world was when, um, was when uh, Mount Chichon erupted. And, uh, and so Mount Chichon is this giant, uh, giant volcano in Chiapas about 30 miles um, west of Palenque. And so when it erupted, the impact and it erupted in 800 AD. Um, And so the eruption was so large that it, well, okay. There was a, there, it erupted one time since then. And we, and it gives us an idea of how big the eruption was. It erupted in, in 1982 and the eruption was so huge that it changed the weather patterns um, all around Mexico and the plume carried over Mesoamerica for like a week. And there were even people on the opposite side of the globe, like in Siberia that said that they could feel the reverberation, like go through the earth. And so it caused like tremors in Siberia. Um, And then, uh, and I think it even caused like smog in New York city or it was something crazy like that. So it erupted in 1982. And the only other time that it erupted was in 800 AD. Um, exactly mm-hmm. at the time of the Maya collapse. So you, when you it erupted... Pe- yeah, you could bet the people at that time, if it's like uh, massive overcast, changes the climate, they're thinking it's like end times probably. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. They're, they're, thinking, <laughs> they're thinking it's the end times. They have been God's living mad. through... They've yeah. been living through vicious wars for the last 60 years. They're, they've been having drought. The, they've been having weather change leading up to that because they've they've destroyed their own ecosystems. There's no... Um, there's no trees anywhere. It's like um, the dust bowl from like uh, in, in America's, yeah. right? When we yeah, over so much that we just destroyed it. Exactly, exactly. So they destroyed their own, you know, um, environment. And then all of a sudden uh, they hear about, you know, you you have these runners, these messengers. So there's no horses uh, during this time because the Euro- Europeans brought horses over. Um, mm-hmm. And so you have these runners who are running, you know, they can run, dozens of miles a day and carry messages well all of a sudden there's this big eruption in the west land you know um and all of these cities are completely covered in ash right like kind of like pompeii you know Mm -hmm. in in italy that's what i was thinking of and so you have all these runners that are running and they're saying like the mountain literally exploded and (laughs) it destroyed these cities and melted these cities like the gods are pissed off at us and all of a sudden this panic starts spreading throughout the Maya world. And then this black plume of smoke covers the mm-hmm. Maya world. And all of a sudden these people who already didn't like their Kings are now turning and looking at the King and being like, the gods don't approve of you anymore. You know, like right. it's the final omen that they need to realize, Oh wow. Like everything is changing. And so that's kind of the the theory as to why all of the cities, regardless of... So ultimately, the pro-Maya cities that didn't want Teotihuacan influence, they won the they won the Star Wars. And then like the mm. next year, the, the volcano erupts. And 
all of the cities, the winners and the losers, abandoned their cities and moved north. And it was just because the area was decimated. Like, you know, okay. they had been living there for thousands of years, but at a height for about a thousand years and at a huge height too, like more population than you can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't comprehend it, man. Like, um, you know, for, for instance, um, we were at this, we were at a major city called Kalakmul. Um, mm-hmm. and that was a pro Maya city. Uh, it, it was the, 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 um, the largest city of the Maya snake kingdom. Um, okay. and, uh, and so we drove 50 minutes South and the entire time that we were driving, you look 50 minutes South going like 40 miles an hour. And the entire time you're looking out the window, it's just pyramid, 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 pyramid. And we end up having a ranger like take us out into the jungle, like, like two hours deep walking into the jungle. And he shows us, this um, small city out there that really nobody knows about. Um, but it, it really wasn't in another city. It was Kalakmul. That was, mm. that is how big the city was. I mean, uh, what insane. city, what city can you drive for 40 or for 50 minutes straight at 40 miles an hour? And you don't make it through the, there's, I don't think there's a city in America where if there was no, I can't lane, think of one. Yeah. No. But that's how big the cities were. That's how big the ancient cities were. And so it's an, if you could see it back then, dude, you could walk all the way across the entire Maya world without ever reaching, um, without ever reaching like a remote area where you're just walking through trails for hours. It wasn't like that. It was endless, endless population with pyramids and stone architecture everywhere everywhere like it's just that's that's absolutely insane and what's what's even crazier is just how little everybody is taught i know that i did everything i've Mm -hmm. learned about mesoamerican cultures has come from the very little i got in like maybe ap history classes Mm -hmm. right in college and then on my own and then like listening to people like you talk about it it's a travesty that we don't know this and like it almost feels like there's a concerted effort sort of to stifle that history. Would you say that's true? Or is this just like, because there hasn't been enough people doing this for their, that information to reach everybody yet? Or like what? Um, well, it's tough, man. Like, um, okay. So a lot of the archeologists in the Maya world, they don't love the idea of gringos coming down there and making headlines, right? Okay. So there's incentive to stifle you there. Um, they don't take white money. Sounds That's like just, Egyptology. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't take white money. All their money comes internally. Um, the problem is that um, I kind of got to watch what you say, but um, mm-hmm. the problem is that archaeology in Mexico is run by people who can make money in better ways. Um, okay. And so archaeology is neglected, you know, noted. Um, if you find, if you find a lost city and you, you know, you go to the head of archaeology in Mexico, there will be people who care, but the people at the top who write checks don't care. Um, you know, if they can't make it, if they can't easily make a tourist attraction out of it, that makes money, not, they're not going to do anything. Um, and that's kind of just the way it is when there are billionaires from the U S that would love to donate, you know, 
$500 million or something insane, yeah. you know, uh, to go do something. They don't care. You know, they, they, they do not care about that. Um, so yeah, dude, there's just so much like, um, uh, the deeper I've got into studying archeology, span like when I first got into it, I thought that maybe there was like this, um, I thought that maybe there was like some kind of worldwide conspiracy to like stifle or, or conceal information. And the more I've gotten into it, the more I don't think it's worldwide. I think that all of these people that are in positions of power have some reason to keep their cards close to their chest and like manipulate the world around them for their own gain. And usually that has to do with like, so they can uh, be the one and only expert or something like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's just, dude, there's, was. yeah, there's an infinite amount of reasons. Like, you know, in ancient Egypt, we could dissect that. And the reasons mm-hmm. that ancient and the reasons that Egyptology is corrupt aren't going to be the same reasons that, mm-hmm. you know, Mexican archaeology is corrupt, you know? So, sure. um, there's just so many reasons that somebody who's in a position of power over other people would like manipulate their world. Um, you know, if they have, if they can, they will, you know? Yeah. So Keeping it's, it's like intentionally stovepiping information and then keeping out people who want to explore it for its history. Yeah. 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 Y'all want to, y'all want to know something. The craziest thing that I saw when I was there, I was at this city called Balam Ku and, uh, and my professor, Dr. Barnhart, he told me to go there and he was like, uh, he was like, keep an eye on the temple that has an opening with the frescoes on the inside. He was like, it's going to blow your mind. He's like, don't look it up. And there's not that many photos of it online anyways. Um, but he was like, he's like, just go visit the site. And, and, uh, he's like, there probably won't be very many people there. So we show up on a Saturday morning. No, no, no. We show up on a Saturday afternoon, later in the afternoon. It was like the second site we visited in that day. Not Mm -hmm. a single person there and nobody had been there that day. And so we go through the city and the city's got all different types of like architectural, cultural styles from around the Maya world. Like it, 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 it's not something that like many people would understand, but it was really cool seeing all the different architectural styles in one city. And so we get to the back um, of the city where the main pyramid is and you walk around the side of the pyramid and there's a, you know, there's like this little, uh, this little portal that you walk inside and you go in and you shine your flashlight up and dude, it's, it's a 20 foot high, 40 foot long, 3d stone stucco mural painted bright red with cinnabar with all the paint still preserved on it with the maya uh kings of the city like intertwined in this psychedelic dream like trance with all of the maya gods like it was like their bodies or it was like stone that was moving i don't know how to explain it It, yeah it, it it is so okay. So Maya uh, stone work or stucco work, their frescoes, um, mm-hmm. uh, their three D carvings are so complicated to look at that you just have to like sit there and just stare at it to to get <laughs> what you're looking well, at. And then once it maybe clicked, you have to be on some sort of like hallucinogenic. Well, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, yeah, of course. Or something. I, I'm tell- Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, there's no way that you're making stuff like this if your brain hasn't been kind of showing you it. You know what I mean? Just and DMT so, all day, dude. That's not the. <laughs> 
That's not the only thing. In the middle of that, beneath it, is this giant, uh, 10-foot-tall, 10-foot-wide black hole that goes straight into the ground. And it was it was a pyramid that was built on top of a cave. And this fresco 3D carving, this 40-foot-long, 20-foot-high carving, was the gateway into this underground cave where the tombs of these kings were held. Okay, and there's a metal door that covered up like the portal. When you go down inside, there was like a chamber beneath it. And so, you know, you would descend down there and they would take, you know, royal bodies down there and bury them down oh, there. Oh, wow. And we asked the ranger who took us there because, you know, it's it's like um, it's just good. Uh, it's good business to um, pay like a local guy to just walk sure. you around, you know, Um and so, uh, or it's good politics, you know, to do that. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, it's frowned upon if you don't. Um, and sure. we asked the guy, we, we asked the guy who worked at the site, we said, Respect. Uh, one, 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 it was the most unique thing I have, I have ever seen in the Maya world. It, it's probably the most exciting thing that I think I've ever seen of all the giant pyramids and everything, just those murals, the way that they looked and with the, like the chamber and the tombs that, that I knew were beneath it in the ground, it was just the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. Um, yeah. And I asked the guy, I said, how, like, how often do people go down there? And he was like, nobody goes down there. And I said, really? And, and there was like a, there's like a metal grate that you could, you know, it's locked, but you could pull it up. I said, when's the last time somebody went down there? And he was like 25 years. And so, Did yeah, yeah, yeah. From 1990, um, 998 was the last time somebody had ever been down there. So you're talking about like the most unique, incredible thing that I have ever seen that Dr. Barnhart has ever seen in the Maya world, completely neglected, you know, and uh, that I don't know, man. I mean, how this many is, different sites can you think that are like that in Egypt and, you know, so many other places that are, that are so just rare. neglected. Yeah, this is so, so like interesting because like kind of like what Brandon was talking about, like you know when you when you go through school and stuff. I'm gonna pull up a photo I, for you guys too. I I uh, I remember learning a whole bunch about Egypt and thinking, wow, they were like so advanced mm-hmm. and civilized, and the pyramids are so cool. Yeah. Um, but like hearing what you're, it's just my ignorance. I didn't know. So like hearing you talk about like you're just driving for like ever, and it's like pyramid, 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 pyramid. Yes. And obviously, I'm not I'm not assuming they're all like great pyramid of Giza size, but like they're probably quite substantial for you to notice them as you're going across. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. You, well, and you so, only, you only really see the, the big ones, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I'm, I'm just kind of like, it's just interesting to me because I, I guess the whole, like, I guess Aztecs or the Mayans and stuff, I just assumed they were a more collective kind of like native American esque type. I didn't see them as, I guess, so advanced or like an actual civilization, if that makes sense. I just yeah. assumed they were kind of just walking around with like a flap on the front and all that. Yeah, just walking around loin cloths and like a spear. And I, I guess I just it, that's that's how they were portrayed. I remember my history books; it's like a picture, and it's like wearing like loin cloths, well, yeah, like they, kicking a ball I, through a hoop, and you're like, "Ooh, wow, cool." Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on a side note, on a side note, I was trying to look up a photo of the Balamku frescoes, and nothing really comes up. Um, but I have photos on my camera that that I I'll send you guys. Just like yeah, I'll, I'll put them in our, the reels when I put it up. Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, what's, yeah. What, what's I guess because 
this is impressive to me, like learning about this. So I'm kind of curious about uh, what you think, Luke, like what's, uh, what, what is more impressive? Do you think like ancient Egypt or like ancient Maya? Like which one do you think at their height was, I guess, the more advanced civilization? Um, man, it's tough, dude, because we know a lot about Egypt, you know, yeah. like uh, just the, you know, a lot of it, even with like the loss of, of Alexandria, uh, the mm-hmm. library of Alexandria and people don't realize that was like three different times that that mm-hmm. happened that, and they would yeah. reassemble the library and it would burn down again. Um, and they probably, Son of a bitch. they probably made a mistake by building it right on the docks. Uh, so like when you landed in Alexandria, you walked up, you had to walk either through or by the library. You had to like literally yeah. walk in the alleyways around it. It's like the first um, thing someone's going to burn. Exactly. Well, well, so they burn the ships, you know what I yeah. mean? And yeah, that yeah. crawls up the harbor and burns the library. And, um, Dumb. but, um, man, we have, uh, so that kind of, yeah, that's like, uh, that's a good question because it's like right up my alley. So Egypt and the Maya world, those are my two favorites. Um, cause so, I, I guess before you go real into it, I guess I want to preface this cause it's like when I, everything I've seen or learned about Egypt and I don't know like a whole, like I'm not like an expert in it, huh? but like, I don't think it even the height of Egypt, you're not driving for like a hundred miles and it's like pyramid, 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 pyramid. You know what I mean? Like that's not a thing. You're talking about super density. Like Egypt mm-hmm. was very like along the Nile and that's mm-hmm. pretty much it. Like it yeah. wasn't like expanding. It wasn't like, no. I mean, the Nile's totally long. different environments too. Yeah. Entirely different environments. And yeah, they have like their great pyramids of Giza, which are massive. Sure. And, like yeah, they're a huge spectacle, um, and Luxor. there could be a whole there could be a whole bunch underneath the sand yeah. that we just don't see or don't know or whatever. Sure. There's definitely there's definitely yeah, a lot that it's just been like it's just hidden, so maybe it seems less than I guess I'm I, thinking. I, on a side note, um, I don't want to sidetrack you. You guys are familiar with with what the Serapium is or the Serapium in Egypt? Do you know what this is? No, no. Well, okay. my mind. Keep your thought. Okay, Serapium. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so the serapium, um, the serapium or the serapium, but it's really serapium. Um, and uh, and so the serapium is traditionally thought to be like a crypt underground um, that houses. I don't know. Maybe it's like more than a dozen. Maybe it's two dozen. Um, traditionally thought to be apis bull sarcophagi. And so you guys maybe have seen this before where you stand, you know, you stand, uh, a tall guy stands straight up and he reaches his arm as high as he can and he, and his hand will reach the bottom of the lid. And mm-hmm. so, oh, yeah. Okay. and yeah, it's, yeah. it's bigger than your arm span and they're made out of solid granite or diorite, you know, two of your hardest materials that you're mm-hmm. going to find in Egypt and the inner walls are like perfectly know, smooth, you know, two feet. Yeah, thick. yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe a foot and a half or two feet thick. Uh, perfectly straight lines, like, like perpendicular, like, ninety degree, like <laughs> yeah. I mean, just just um, unfathomably heavy sarcophagi mm-hmm. um, in these underground crypts. Okay, one the top of there. it. The top of it. <laughs> the um, the top of it. The temple that was kind of like the gateway where you would walk through the temple and then you would go down into the other underground crypt. Um, mm-hmm. That had probably been quarried sometime in antiquity, like. 
you know, maybe during the Christian or, or the, or the Islamic eras, um, mm-hmm. it was cored for its blocks and carried, you know, somewhere else. And so the, the blocks that built the temples on top of the Serapium are probably somewhere in, in like Memphis or Cairo, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so in the, by the 1800s, um, so the Serapium was, was super important. Sorry, there's like a lot of lore to this, but the yeah, Serapium, no, the Serapium was really important because, um, in Alexandria, um, uh, I think it was Ptolemy. Are you, are you guys familiar with who Ptolemy is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so Alexander's, Alexander's General. Buddy. Yeah. And so, um, and he had his lineage that goes all the way down to, uh, it's the final Cleopatra. kingdom of Egypt. So from 305 to 30 BC, you mm-hmm. have Ptolemy the first, all the way down to Cleopatra the seventh, which is our Cleopatra. That's the one mm-hmm. everybody knows of. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so um, during that time, the the second Serapium in Alexandria is built in honor of the first one. Okay, and okay. so that that's in the literature. Um, and so by the 1800s, people are looking for the second Serapium that's mentioned in all of the literature because the first Serapium in Alexandria is gone. Like, dude, all of Alexandria is gone. <laughs> you know, it, it's Wild. a completely lost city. And that is the coolest city in ancient Egypt. But we'll, we'll get we'll, we'll get more into that. That's my Alexandria is my favorite city in all of Egypt. Um, awesome. And and all of it is gone. Like none of it is left, um, other than the foundation of the Serapium and some other things, um, mm-hmm. and some some Roman buildings that came later are, are still there, sure. which is pretty cool. Um, so in the literature, you, we know about the Alexandria Serapium was built in honor of the Serapium. That was um, near uh, Giza in Memphis and, and uh, maybe near Saqqara. And, but by the late 1800s, when Egyptology is really kicking off, nobody knows where it, where it is. But this guy, uh, I guess he was an archaeologist or like an explorer. He's wandering around and he finds these stones in the sand. So this is kind of like what you were saying about mm-hmm. you know, we don't know how much is still buried out there. So he finds these stones in the sand. And he gets, you know, he gets the funding to get a team to start digging up around it. And he finds a stairway and he's got to pull all the sand out of this huge stairway. Yeah. Boom. Uncovers the, uncovers the Serapium. And, uh, wow. and it is the most enigmatic thing in all of Egypt. Like all of the, I mean, it's up there with the pyramids. Like if you just go look at how big the sarcophagi are, it's, it's as unexplainable as the pyramids. It really is. Right. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's it's just uh, it's an amazing thing. So uh, I'm sorry, Zach. I don't even know if you remember what you were originally yeah, talking. So what, what I was kind of talking about is like it was brilliant, Luke. <laughs> so when uh, not for real. When I was uh, you know, I've written papers about Egypt, like all of history. Like I remember history class was real big on like Egypt, like all type of stuff. And it's so, but you don't hear a lot about Mayans. But like you're talking about like their population density, where I'm assuming they're like just a bunch of people everywhere. Oh, like yeah. you're you like shoulder to shoulder like i'm assuming like times square during like new year's like eve just people everywhere walk around i never thought of it that way so i guess my question to you is uh we know so much about ancient egypt but we don't know a lot about mines or i guess maybe not enough people know about it but like which one to you was the <clears throat> i guess not, i don't want to say better civilization more but impressive? like yeah well yeah what more impressive I... yeah which what one do i was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do I find more impressive or more interesting? Um, so here's the thing. So which one's bigger? 
Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so bigger Maya world, just more people, okay? More people, um, more quantity of architecture, but not the same quality, you know what I mean? And they also Mm -hmm. didn't have the quality of stones that Egypt had. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so, so you have, you have like real, you have really not high quality limestone in the Maya world. And, uh, and the granite is so deep that it's not accessible. Um, and so, okay. you know, whereas in Egypt, you have cliff sides of granite that you can just yeah. start, you know, chopping away at and, uh, you know, but, um, so the Maya world, we kind of know how much writing that they had. We, we, we have an idea. So during like the colonial period, um, the early Spanish colonial period in Mexico, the Aztecs are ordering 480,000 copies of their form of paper a year. So 480,000 copies a year. And they had only been writing for like Sometime within the last 150 years, they had begun. So the, the last 150 years before the Spanish arrive in 1521. So I guess that would be like, uh, I don't know what, 1380, 1390 is when the, is when the Aztecs begin. Uh, mm-hmm. And so sometime during that period, they start writing. And at the time of the Spanish arrival, they're printing 480,000 pieces of paper a year. Um the Maya had been writing for the last 2000 years leading up to that point. So, or close to the last 2000 years and the Olmecs Mm -hmm. were writing too before that. Um, But in 1574, something around there, maybe like 1560 something, um, Mm -hmm. a guy named Diego de Landa uh, demands that all the Spanish troops enslaving all the local Maya people go and assemble all of the known uh, Maya writing on paper. And they assembled millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of copies of paper. And they they assembled it into pyres. So a pyre is a large mound and it's pyres as in plural. Mm -hmm. And they just burned it all up into ash because they thought it was all, you know, pagan devil stuff. But really it was, it was everything. It was like, you know, what would you expect the library of Alexandria to be? It would be manuscripts, it'd be blueprints, it'd be mathematics, history, mathematics, oral history, traditional Mm -hmm. history. It'd be like legal documents. It'd be everything that describes, it'd be medicine, uh, their astronomy. it It would be everything that encompassed their civilization gone. So it kind of, we can look at their architecture, but here's the thing. Um, and then I'll answer your question as to which one I find more interesting. Um, <clears throat> so here's the thing. We don't even know what we don't know because right. up until the Dresden Codex, which was held in Dresden, Germany, um, uh, which I think it's still in Dresden, Germany. Um, and that's where it was deciphered too. Um, the Dresden Codex until that was deciphered, which which kind of unlocked the the code of Maya astronomy to us. And, and it kind of, it, it, well, I mean, not just kind of, it made us realize like, oh my God, look at how much they knew about the the stars and, and, uh, and astronomy. We had absolutely no idea why any of their temples faced the direction that they did. So mm-hmm. you're talking about tens of thousands of temples that we know of all facing ran- random directions. Mm-hmm. And there's absolutely no way to know th- 
the alignments of the cities that you're standing in, which is the whole purpose of the city. There right. was Why no are they way astronomically to, aligned. Yeah, yeah, there was there was no way to know that they were even astronomically aligned until you deciphered the Dresden Codex. Okay, so then once they do that, they go, "Whoa, okay, okay, okay." So so they know constellations, they know stars and planets, they're tracking planets. Okay. You know why we didn't realize this? Because we're standing in the middle of a freaking jungle. Let's cut mm-hmm. down all of the trees yeah. around the, the ruins like they would have so we can now see the stars. They would have never known that until they deciphered the, the Dresden Codex. So like I'm saying, that opened up. Oh, I don't think I have the I don't think I have the book with me, but there but okay. just the Dresden Codex, which is I don't know, several dozen pages, but you know, it's like fine print the whole thing. There are mm-hmm. textbooks that thick just because of the Dresden Codex that tell Amazing. us so much about Maya astronomy and their world as a whole. Like it just it's just it's a, like key a super that Rosetta Stone. It, it, yeah, it's like the Rosetta Stone. It just it's a key that unlocks a whole world, you know, and that was one out of thousands of pyres that that were you know, you tens of thousands, maybe I don't know, hundreds of thousands. So we don't even know what we don't know about the Maya world. Um, Dude, people joke about like going back in time and killing Hitler. I go back and kill that guy and prevent this from happening. <laughs> like dead ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I would do that, and uh, yeah, if if I could kill like a whole handful of people, man, it'd be it'd be all of your it'd be all of your big recent names. You know what I mean? I'd kill mm-hmm. Hitler and Stalin and and sure, uh, sure. Mao, you know, Mao, all of those guys. Yeah, um, yeah. But I would also go back into antiquity and I would kill, um, I definitely kill Diego de Landa before yeah. he could burn all of that. Um, Absolutely. But I would also kill, which I don't know, man, like, you know, he already dies a pretty bloody death, but I would stop Julius Caesar from burning down Alexandria. Uh, mm. And I would stop, um, I would stop, uh, I think it's Domitian, which is the, uh, mm-hmm. one of the Roman emperors. He burns down Alexandria again. Um, I would stop those guys because the fact that we don't have the fact that the library of Alexandria doesn't exist today and we don't have those documents. Those are the two biggest, those are the two biggest tragedies to history. Um, so honestly, man, um, so this is going to give away my answer. Uh, (laughs) my big project that I'm working on right now, uh, is a new YouTube series called Alexandria. And um, and it is it is literally every single aspect of ancient Alexandria that you could possibly think of. Like if you thought if you sat down and thought about all day any weird, strange question about it, it's gonna have a it's gonna have a an episode dedicated to it. Let's go. Um, That's awesome. So I have assembled like um, every piece of literature on Alexandria. I have all of it. And I and I've I've uh, been assembling it for like months now, um, and uh, so I'm going through it one by one, and it's going to be a complete study of the history, which is not very well studied at all. Um, and it's also going to be a study and investigation into um, into a lot of the mysteries around Alexandria because it's it's kind of a it's like a we know where the city was but it's a lost mm-hmm. city oh, oh, not, yeah okay so the monuments that we know existed in Alexandria are some of the most important monuments that ever existed in the ancient world um, and let alone let alone Egypt itself so so the Pharos lighthouse mm-hmm. um, you know 
the world's very first lighthouse that has a whole story and meaning behind it. That's insanely profound And the blocks used to create it. I'll get to that in a second. So, but you have the far Oath lighthouse. Okay. You have the library of Alexandria right mm-hmm. next to the library of, of Alexandria. You have the museum, which not a lot of people know about. It was a building right next to the library that was like a uh, a scientific university. It's the world's first university. So you have the okay. library. You go next. I mean, how many universities have a library attached to it? So you have right. all of your sources. You have all of your sources right next to the place where you go study those sources. Alexandria created the world's first university, and it brought in scientists and geniuses from all over the Mediterranean world. And mm-hmm. would pay these people to come live in Alexandria and study and invent things. So, um, so you have the the Pharos Lighthouse, the Library of Alexandria, the Museum of Alexandria. Um, you have Cleopatra's Palace, which is like one of the biggest things that that was ever created. Um, you have this uh, Caesarion, which is the mm-hmm. temple that was dedicated to Caesar's son. Uh, mm-hmm. You have the Temple of Caesar. You have the um, you have the Hippodrome, which is like one of the biggest chariot racing um, stadiums anywhere in the anywhere in the uh, in the ancient world. Uh, you have the Second Serapium, uh, dude. I could go. You have you have um, some some of the world's first catacombs are in mm-hmm. Alexandria. Um, oh God, the Mausoleum of Alexander. Uh, like right, Alexander. Alexander was built at at the the center of Canopic Way and Soma Road, which are the two main roads that he established. He was buried at the center of it, and uh, and so the mausoleum is one of the biggest was one of the biggest construction projects ever taken on in the world. He's buried at the bottom of it, along with every single other Ptolemy that came after him. Um, mm. Cleopatra and Mark Antony, their tombs are somewhere in Alexandria. Um, right. And and I'm and I'm forgetting a whole bunch of other sites as well. And so all of Egypt. them. <laughs> you what? So your answer is Egypt. <laughs> Probably Egypt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's um, you know, it's just because we know so much. So the, so the yeah. world is so rich. You know what I mean? Like, I wish that I could talk about like you know uh, X Y Z A B and C character that lived in the Maya world, but we just don't know a lot of them. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, your most prominent one would probably be Pakal in his tomb um, in Palenque. Have we talked about that? Like the Temple yeah. of Inscriptions. It, mm-hmm. It's just it's essentially the first and really the only um, Maya pyramid that's discovered that resembles. Um, you know, what the traditional idea of what, of what pyramids were in Egypt, where, mm. you know, you go down a crypt and a tunnel system, uh, like these different shafts and stairways down the pyramid. And there's a giant tomb at the bottom of it. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, basically this guy like, um, uh, uh Albert Ruiz or Alberto Ruiz, um, in the fifties, mm-hmm. He's exploring the temple at the top of the, um, the the pyramid of inscriptions. Essentially, he's at the temple in the top of it, and they call it the the temple of inscriptions because at the top of it, from you know floor to ceiling, it's just the history of the city of Palenque and the dynastic kings who live there, leading up to the man that is buried in the tomb, right, um, or the man that's buried in the pyramid. But at this point, people didn't realize 
that um well the, okay so they knew people were buried in pyramids but they thought that they were buried in a chamber inside the pyramid and it was just buried over on top of and then people would live on top of the pyramid you know what i mean so you're like entombed yeah. inside of it and there's no way to get to you well this guy is looking at these limestone slabbed uh floorboards and there's these holes and the holes go down and he sees that the wall that meets the limestone slab goes past the slab down into the pyramid he goes what the heck so he shines his light down in these holes and the hole goes down so they're like plug holes well Mm. he ends up putting something inside the plug holes and he lifts up the slabs and there's a staircase that descends straight into the pyramid and so um and so there it was purposely filled in though with rubble so they have to they spend like three years of backbreaking work to get all of the rubble out of the staircases and when they get down to the bottom of it there's this thing that's never been seen before. It's like this megalithic triangular stone slab that was mm-hmm. fitted into a triangular doorway. So like it was impossible to move out of the way. Well, I mean, I don't know for ancient people, it would have been really hard. Probably nothing was actually impossible, but you know, it would have <laughs> been really hard to move out of the way. So yeah. they eventually move it out of the way. And when they walk in, it's the biggest sarcophagus ever seen on this side of the planet. Um, the only thing that would surpass it are um, are the Serapium sarcophagi in Egypt. Um, it's uh, seven feet tall, six feet wide, 11 feet long. Uh, it's like 17 tons of solid limestone. Um, it, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, or maybe the base of it is 17 tons and the lid was five tons. Um, and so, I yeah. Ask. Like do what? Why? Why are there so many similarities like that? Like what? What is? What just inspired ancient man on opposite sides of the world to do such similar things? Well, okay, so, um, well, I mean, I mean, obviously, I don't know. Sure, but there's um, there's a lot of different. You know, of course, there's just so many different ideas. So, you know, your typical like most popular theory is that there was like a prominent mother culture that inspired Mm -hmm. a lot of these different cultures but uh it's just hard to prove that because you know ancient egypt existed from uh 3100 bc until 30 bc at the most conservative estimate you know of course there's people saying that ancient egypt goes back you know to 10,000 bc um but at the most conservative estimate it's 3100 bc to 30 bc Mm -hmm. um and the Maya world is about 200 to 400 BC up until the arrival of the Spanish, right? So you're so you're you're not only disconnected by entire hemispheres, you didn't even exist at the same time. You know, right. there there's no like there there is no way for them to communicate with each other because when Dude. we think about it, we're like, oh, it's the ancient world. We think about it like vaguely. Sure. Well, but but they didn't so even like exist in the same off. time, in the yeah. same place. Do, yeah, so thousands. do you think maybe it was? Yeah, th- uh, do you think maybe it was the, the the Egyptians just went across the ocean? <laughs> like Egypt fell and no. went across the ocean Mm-mm. and started. No, no, no. So, so, no so here's the thing: in Egyptian literature, um, the Egyptians they had Mediterranean boats, but they really did not like going into the Mediterranean. They the Egyptians are Nile people. That is mm-hmm. it. They don't go into the desert. I, like when we think about Egyptians, we think about them living in the desert. 
They did not mm-hmm. live in the desert. They mm-hmm. lived literally on the Nile River, you know, that, where it was where it was green, kind of like that tropical, like the floodplain right. area. Mm-hmm. They lived literally on the river. The people mm-hmm. who lived off in the desert were dangerous. You did, you know, the barbarians that lived off the in the desert. Yeah, the ra- <laughs> like literally the Tuscan raiders out there. You mm-hmm. did not want to mess with those people. Um, and so the Egyptians were, were kind of like they were scared of the desert and they were scared of the Mediterranean Sea. So they weren't leaving. They weren't then leaving the Mediterranean on yeah. the other side of Africa. Yeah to sail across the ocean. They just didn't have the boats to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. Later on, they start having bigger boats, but that's really when, uh, that's really when Macedonia um, uh, comes into Greece and they bring their triremes. Like, you know, you know, the big ships that you see like in Troy that land on the beaches of Troy. So those triremes, those are introduced to Egypt through the Ptolemaic kingdom. Mm -hmm. Um, so before then, I mean, Egypt is not really sailing all over the Mediterranean. They are. They were sailing um, from from out of the Nile to Lebanon uh, in 2600 BC. But, you know, they, they didn't have fleets that were to be sailing all around the Nile. You needed to be able to engage in naval warfare and like decimate mm-hmm. other armies in naval warfare. And the Egyptians just weren't doing that. Um so, so no, I mean, yeah, there wasn't it, there wasn't any sailing across. Um, okay, so so that is kind of like, um, I don't so know. The mother, say, so the mother we, thing doesn't work. Them so going we, across yeah, doesn't yeah. work. So we can say with some sense of certainty that 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 just wasn't the case. Unfortunately, like it's it's mm-hmm. cool, and you would think like it's just your first innate thought that like there's got to be yeah. a cultural connection there. So the other idea, or another idea. <clears throat> Um, would be that it doesn't really matter where you put ants on the earth. They're going to build mm. ant mounds that look exactly the same, you know, and right. human beings. We're all aren't, humans. Yeah, we're all humans and we all have similar ideas. Our brains aren't that different mm-hmm. from each other. Triangles, you know? The so, triangle shape is also like the strongest shape for like a building. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a strong structure. So when you have people who are living on the brink of annihilation, and all in all of their life is just experimentation. They're going to start building structures that are like sound that are easy to build. And a pyramid is not easy to build, but I don't know where else you start. It you lasts. know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't know how, um, it probably makes more sense to build. If you're going to make an artificial structure, it makes more sense to build something that looks like something that, you know, which is a giant hill or a mountain. You know what I mean? Because okay, yeah, that is that is naturally a strong structure. So you go from there to eventually four walls. Like four walls is is b- a bizarre. Where where does that come from? You know what I mean? Like that that comes from like like generations of experimentation with architecture. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How like if you told a caveman something like. Like it's just so um, unnatural, right. a four walled building, right? So it kind of makes sense that there's some kind of progression there. Another idea, um, another idea, man, is that uh, okay? Let's I'll put, kind of put two things in there. Um, is either people all across the world see similar things when they experiment with psychedelics, and they have similar 
inspirations because you look at uh, Aztec and Zapotec murals that are like, have you ever seen the, uh, have you ever seen the murals that are like this? It's like the triangles that go like this, or I'm sorry, not triangles, but squares that go like this. And they're like spiral spiral squares. Or sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's like a wave. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. You should go, you should go look at Aztec and Zapotec murals and then go look at Greek murals and tell me it's not literally exactly the same pattern because it's the exact same pattern. It's literally the exact same pattern. Luke, are you familiar with uh, Brian Rescue's work? Yes, but I haven't dived into it yet because I know it's going to send me down a rabbit hole and I'm not prepared. (laughs) It will, right? So like one of the things he talks about a lot, it's the kind of overarching theme of the book is psychedelic use in like the Hellenistic world, right? And so- Mm -hmm. You're, you're making this comparison about the use of, you know, psychedelics in Mesoamerica and Greece. Like it's not that far off to say that that's why that those depictions are so similar. Right. Yeah. Well, and isn't it interesting what I was saying earlier about um, about how like the city state system is so similar in both places. Like Good they're point. so similar. And, and I should say, I don't know anything about Brian's work. It's just kind of one of those things where. If you're interested in Greece, but you like Mesoamerica and you go, you study it for long enough, you will see some of these like, hey, the murals look exactly Whoa. the same. And the right. city state system is exactly the same, too. That's really weird. Right. You know, and then so how, you know, well, OK, then you have a lot of traditional academics that are like, you're you're an idiot. You're stupid. Pseudoscientific, you know, blah, 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 or pseudoscientific, right. pseudoarchaeologist fake history science denier blah 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 like yeah you know i mean it's just the mystery of it all is intrinsically fascinating and um and so yeah i need to dive into the immortality key Um, but i just know that it's going to send me down a rabbit hole that i'll never come out of you know what i mean and so um and and well another thing i like about his book is that it's actually accepted like that work is so thorough that it's mm-hmm. actually accepted by academics. Like, okay, so if you go to Barnes and Noble and mm-hmm. you go to your world history section, the immortality key will be in the world history section. But Graham Hancock will be over in the right. like conspiracy, unknown mystery yeah. kind of stuff. So, right. you know, um, a lot of the stuff that Graham Hancock says is true, but a lot of it's just heavily disputed. But, but he's Brian, also not an, like an anthropologist or an archaeologist or anything like that either. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or are you talking about Brian? No, Graham. Graham is well, Graham is not like a a scientist. Yeah, yeah. Well, what is Brian? I, I thought that they're kind of similar, aren't they? Yeah, that's a good question. Let's look that up. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's not so much a matter of like your before. Um, before you move off of this, I want to pull something up real quick. Okay. Yeah, I think it's not so much a matter of the degree, just kind of the substance. And I think Graham Hancock is also like. Uh, I mean, he's like unambiguously uh, at war against the system. You know what I mean? So Definitely. they're obviously. So it says know, right here, it says Brian graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Brown University with a history, or excuse me, a degree in Latin, Greek, and Sanskrit. Whoa. So he, okay. he does have, you know, a history. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got that traditional history. background. Yeah. So Luke, mm-hmm. uh, is this oh, ancient Greece do. or ancient Aztec? I knew <laughs> Um, put him to the test. That's Greek. That's Greek. Okay. And that's what I'd say. Pull too. up the other one. 
Let's see here. This will be a fun. Uh, this will be a fun thing to do. Is like this a ancient trivia. Greek or ancient Aztec. Yeah. Uh, Greek. That's Aztec. I was gonna say that's got to be Aztec. This are you, if you go <laughs> okay, like okay, the okay. third the third <laughs> set of like designs down. You know what I'm talking about, Zach? Like third yeah. set, that that looks more Mesoamerican. Like the okay, waves. Okay. So, the first one ahead, was go Greek. You got that one yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what's interesting is so that very first swastika like looking design. Uh-huh. Yeah, it is. Totally. That exact pattern is at is at um, uh, Belbeck, Lebanon, it, which is a which is like a Greco Roman inspired um, right. uh, city in Lebanon. Um, that swastika there is in the murals at Lebanon, the exact huh. same thing. So as, for, as soon as I saw that, I thought like, like Greco Roman. Yeah. Um, okay. But I mean, dude, it's, it, it, I mean, it really is like, um, so the similar. only, the only yeah. way that I knew that the, the only way I knew without a shadow of doubt that the first one was Greek is the little wave design. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That one, that one is so Greek. And that's um, why I, I noticed because I, I just quickly Googled. I Googled like ancient Greek border mural, uh, murals and then I did mm-hmm. ancient Aztec border murals. And I found like ones from like. Incredibly uh, like, similar. Yeah. And a lot of the Greek ones have a lot more like uh, angles, mm-hmm. like act mm-hmm. like waves. All the Aztec ones are very like straight, um, except for some very random stuff. Like some, it looks like flowers sometimes. <clears throat> Check this but, out. What I'm about to show you. That is Belbeck. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. That's the uh, that's the exact same yeah, thing. Exactly. It is literally pull that up, Zach. <laughs> if he if he found it on his phone, you could put it up on the. So how, how do you? Yeah, I just looked up. I just looked up Belbeck, Lebanon swastika. And, and and look at that. And look at that. Lebanon. You have Dude. you have Greco Greco Roman. Um, oh, it's columns either. behind it. Yeah. So clearly, we just the three of us need to get together and do like ayahuasca together and then talk about it. <laughs> hey, if, if we were to see like, uh, you know, it, when you, when you say swastika, it obviously like gives you the, the yeah. 30, yeah, 30 yeah. thing, but that's yeah. not, but that's not the case. That symbol existed. That's a corrupted symbol. It that, that he yeah. used. So, so like for, so just for everyone listening, when I say swastika it has nothing to do with Germany, not but if we see that design, and we were on ayahuasca. That's like, whoa. You know what I mean? It's just a, uh, it's, Dude. it's almost proof that people are seeing these similar things and putting them in stonework. That's what I was going to say is it's almost like the aspect of the scientific method where we're reproducing there outcomes because we're all seeing the same symbol, even though we're on, uh, mm-hmm. you know, hallucinogens, you know, that's yeah, it. Right wow. Yeah. That's the one I'm now, loving. That's how, weird, man. How bizarre is that? So, so when I first saw that, and that was on the first row of the Mesoamerican mm-hmm. one, you said, mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, oh well, Greco-Roman, and you're like, you're like, no, it's, uh, you know, Aztec, Zapotec, Toltec, or whatever, and uh, and it's just like that's how indecipherable it is. And yeah. then so we were talking about Remarkable. earlier, and 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 I would be interested in in reading the Immortality Key, and I'm really on the edge of like every time I go to Barnes and Noble, I'm picking up that book, and I'm Let's thinking, do it. not yet. Not yet. You know, I got so many other things I'm diving down. I, I but, need my um, time. But it's amazing that we were just talking about earlier the similar of the the similarity of the city states between Mesoamerica and Greece. Mm-hmm. 
And then all of a sudden we get to these patterns and how similar they are. And then right. I didn't even, well, I actually, I, I knew that, but I um, didn't really know the extent of it that when I was like flipping through the immortality key, I saw mm-hmm. photos of, of like a uh, Mesoamerican, you know, something that like a photo that had something to do with, you know, Mesoamerica. And I thought mm-hmm. hmm, that's interesting. And so now right. it's clicking. That's probably what it's about in the book. Mm-hmm. I don't know some some kind of connection there, but um, yeah, man, it's a it's a fascinating world. I don't know where we got off on that topic. Would you? Remember, we were talking about hallucinogens, like taking yeah. psychedelics, and then uh, oh, you mentioned them you all mentioned connected. The, well, yeah, you mentioned like the uh, the Greek, you know, cultures, and that's kind of like one of the main themes in his book is like the Hellenistic cultures and and that psychedelic use. Yeah, so, yeah, man, the, the religion with world. no name. The the Hellenistic world is is really um is really amazing. That's that's what Alexandria existed in. It's just uh-huh. it's just uh it's just a time of like um you know, it's like 300 years of kind of peace, kind of, but with but with uh you know, um well, I, I say kind of peace, but but Rome is just absolutely whooping everybody's ass at this time. Um, right. and Ro- and Rome is like clawing its way to taking over the entire world during this time so everyone else is trying to relax and rome is just coming in and decimating everybody you You know on the block just clap yeah 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 yeah. well it's kind of funny like um so in greece you know you have you have the bronze age wars of like mycenae um Uh, Mycenae and Thessaly and and Mm -hmm. uh let's say even troy Troy. so you have the bronze age wars and um and then you know you or you have you have uh, Minoan Crete culture, um, mm-hmm. and so you have all these wars, and then you have the Dark Ages, and then Greece kind of rebuilds, um, and uh, Greece kind of rebuilds, and then so you've got like the time of Homer and and mm-hmm. Sparta and Pericles um, out of Athens, and so you mm-hmm. you know you have the uh, you have the Greek world trying to repel Persia and Xerxes, you know, and then right. the Greek world. They repel Persia and then they turn in and start fighting each other in the Peloponnesian War. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. You know your timeline stuff, dude. That's that's awesome. I, I um, love history, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so then they start fighting each other and then um, and then you know so the Greek city states, dude, they start declining just in the same way that Mesoamerica does. And then so little old Macedonia up here with mm-hmm. Philip II just mm-hmm. crushes all of them. And yeah. then, and then all of a sudden he dies. And then his like 23 year old son goes, goes, I'm going to take over Persia. And Flex. all of, and, and all of the Greek city states are like, uh, yeah. that kid's going to go out there and kill himself. And then three, or I don't know, maybe like seven years later, mm-hmm. he's got his feet kicked up in Babylon and he's taken over all of the known world and, yeah. and little, and little old Rome over there is like, Oh my God, when he goes back to Ma- when he goes back to Macedon, he's going to come after us. So lucky enough for everybody else, Alexander dies and the Hellenistic world like splits up, you know, Alexander's kingdom splits up and then mm-hmm. everybody goes, okay. You know, after the, uh, after the wars of Alexander's successors, everybody goes, okay, okay, well, let's kind of like, let's kind of chill out a little bit and let's focus on, you know, let's focus <laughs> on building our culture or whatever. And then everybody mm-hmm. like looks to the West and here comes Rome. <laughs> like, just, yeah. It just never stops, dude. It Flight never of the stops. is playing, you know, dun, dun, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dun, dun. it's yeah. just amazing. It's just, it's just 
Well, it's funny, you know what I mean? That mm-hmm. like all that happens to the to the Greek world, and then you get to this Hellenistic period where it's like nice and Greek culture has spread everywhere, and you know they're building like, dude. There's there's a did you know that there was a library war? Did y'all know this? No. No. Dude, there's the library of Ephesus, the library of Pergamon, uh, the like library of Alexandria. Yeah, yeah, the library of Alexandria. And so they're all competing with each other to, uh, dude, there's like, oh my, dude, it's like Game of Thrones of these um, librarians, who, which are just these really wealthy uh, <laughs> dynastic families that these are librarian trying, pimps of the ancient world, dude. That's that just trying trying to like, house we need to start that TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're all trying to get the original copies of these famous books and trying to, you know, collect the most knowledge, this, that, and the other. And then Egypt is eventually like, you know what? We're the ones producing the papyrus we're not even going to make papyrus for you guys and sell it for you anymore. We're going to have all the papyrus and make all the, you know, and, and have all the scrolls. Yeah. And so, we're right. There's, there's 300 <laughs> years of library wars at this time. And all wow. throughout that time of like these cultural wars, it's like a cultural war, but it's kind of a time of prosperity, like Hellenism. That's what Hellenism was. Mm-hmm. And then, so dude, like the Hellenistic world is, is really thriving and then Rome has just got to come and burn everyone's city to the ground. Jedi Temple right. March. <laughs> Literally, dude. Like, well, you know. Speaking uh, of Rome and like the military, it makes me wonder what what was the um, like the Mayan Mesoamerican military like? Because obviously, like you think of like Greek army, you think of Roman mm-hmm. army, you think of like the phalanx with Greece, right? And like the Romans mm-hmm. sort of well, they did sort of they did they perfected the Greek phalanx, you know? Mm-hmm. Like did did the Mayan have something like that? Did they have siege weapons? Like if you're, if you're going up against cultures that've got pyramids, right? Like yeah, how much do we know about their military? Not a whole lot, man. Um, man. We know that it was like heavily strategic, um, but it's it's like straight up guerrilla warfare, you know. So okay. you're makes you're, sense in the jungle. Um, yeah, I mean, you're attacking people at night um, using, mm-hmm. you know, uh, definitely using fire. You know, I mean, you're you're it's it's um uh well, you know, I'm trying to think of like um it's like jihad wars basically you know what i mean it it's uh it's like terrorism that 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 was the form of that's like Guerrilla the form warfare, of warfare like you said yeah and, you know it's yeah i mean it's you're using fear um it's like you know what i mean it's not um it wasn't noble warfare in the way that like washington you know, we, crossing the delaware yeah, it, on christmas exactly <laughs> it, it's exactly like that Get yeah ready, um, which was savage of him to do by the way um, Dude, yeah. yeah yeah so george washington was an absolute savage um but yeah it was a lot of ways like, yeah it, it, it was a lot like that where um you know what i mean you are so the maya world has like all these knock these uh these uh sock bays that go all over the maya world which are these uh 10 meter tall stone highways that go all over the maya world and they just cut straight through the jungles and so okay. you know people had to walk everywhere so you have armies you know walking down the road and at a certain you know strategic turn you have all these people sitting up in the hills or sitting up you know maybe that the the sock bay goes like between a little hill and all of a sudden you know they just Ambush. descend and shoot arrows through it and just 
you know what I mean? It's Tudorberg Forest. Just <laughs> that's yeah, it. yeah. It's it's all it's all about sabotaging and terrorizing your enemy, and um, and that that was that's what we know about Maya warfare, um, just okay. from Spanish accounts of of having to deal with the Maya people. Um, that makes sense. There were some so so the Maya and the Toltecs uh, had started to form an alliance to fend off the Aztecs by the time the Spanish mm. came. So the Maya Toltec people of Chichen Itza fended off, um, fended off the Spanish, uh, like pretty fiercely. And, uh, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was like, so, uh, yeah, I think it was so bad that the, um, the Spanish had to flee at night and they tied up all of their dogs to trees and had like bells on them. And so it would make a lot of noise at night to distract the Maya from the fact that the whole army was leaving. You know what I mean? Oh it, shit. Some story like that. Yeah. So they were really That's quite wild. scared of quite scared of the Mesoamericans. And um and I mean really the the biggest upper hand that the um that the Spanish had was that they were immune to all of the diseases that they exposed Mesoamericans to, you know. Mm-hmm. So they were fighting people who were already ill um, mm-hmm. and had been ill for a while because, um, you know, Columbus arrives in the Bahamas in 1492. And then some mm-hmm. of the first trading vessels that go down to Mexico are in the early 1500s. Cortez mm-hmm. arrives in 1521. Um, and then you have, uh, well, he takes on the Aztecs immediately. But mm-hmm. then you had later expedition. You had later expeditions throughout the 1500s and the 1600s to mm-hmm. take on the Maya, and mm-hmm. so um, <clears throat> and so you know some of these. Uh, so the last Maya kingdom fell. Uh, it was called Lake Paten Itza, and that was on an island in in Guatemala, uh, like on island in the middle of a lake. Why did they survive? Because they were so you know, secluded, but they were really just refugees from the rest of the Maya world that found their way to this Island and would like swim across the lake or, you know, go across on a little raft or something just to get there. So they built up this fortified kingdom and, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know where I got off on the rabbit hole about that, but that's, yeah, yeah, that, that's kind of like an idea of what Maya warfare was, was like very much guerrilla warfare, you know, staking out in the in the jungle and then attacking your enemy at their most vulnerable. And then, you know, sure. your hand to hand combat, um, they had shields, you know, they had like mm-hmm. wooden okay. shields, but it's not exactly the way we think of it. It's a more agile shield, you know, whereas a Roman shield mm. will cover your whole body. Uh, right. These are more like smaller shields that may have also been weapons at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had swords, which is interesting, you know, that, that like, yeah, that, that the similar idea ideas are there but their swords are different it's a solid wooden club with jagged razor sharp um obsidian like razors attached all the way around it so when you hit somebody with it not only did the sword shatter the bone you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it's like hitting somebody with a club or a baseball bat but it's Mm -hmm. like a baseball bat with um razor sharp obsidian blades attached to it you know so you're just it's you're just talking about it's just like like disgusting carnage from that you know yeah um, another thing you know they're gonna have your your normal obsidian daggers um, mm-hmm. you're gonna have the uh, I think it's called the axolotl um, and it was mm-hmm. like a 
it was a, and they had spears too, which is interesting, but spears must've been around since like the ice age, you know, that, and they, yeah. and they just permeated throughout all of the world. Um, and the, probably the same with bows, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. definitely the same with like daggers. Those had, those mm-hmm. have been around since before the ice age. Um, but they had learned the, the Mesoamericans had learned to throw their spears with even more, uh, power and velocity by attaching this little wedge that you held in your hand and it mm-hmm. cut the back end of the spear and you would yeah. hold it like this and then launch it forward. So you have this leverage um, that propels the spear forward, but the spear the was also lateral, right. Yeah. Yeah. At lateral. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I was mm-hmm. calling it axolotl. That's the little lizard little, thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the at lateral. Um, so and those spears were also smaller, you know, so it's mm. easier to project it forward. But it's really just okay. like a giant arrow coming at you. Um, and so they uh, they would also have um, they also have uh, honeybee bombs where they would capture Whoa. honeybees and wasps and put them in like rotten fruit or and, and then you know they send it in uh, kind of like a like a slingshot catapult. And so it just lands in the middle of you know their enemy uh troop or or you know yeah. at least in our in our case they in what we know from the literary sources that they would land you know um, amidst the uh spanish soldiers and then all the bees disperse and go underneath their armor and you oh, know what I mean? you're trying to fight with a yeah. hundred bees stinging you so yeah yeah, so that's kind of what warfare was like. And if you want to include the Aztecs, they had their death whistles. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard of that before. Oh, yeah. And so yes. they sit up in the hills or off in the, off in the forest. Psychological um, warfare. Around you at night. And they, you know, blow into the death whistle, which sounds like a mountain lion. But it also sounds like a woman screaming in pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you know, psychological, like jihad you know kind of warfare yeah. you know it's, okay. it's like terrorism yeah yeah so that's that's kind of you know it's not the same uh noble wars that you see like in the old world you know sure just curious yeah because yeah, obviously like mankind has always waged war against one another but don't really hear a lot about you know mesoamerican cultures and and war you know what i mean mm-hmm. so but you know one of the things though uh, listening to, or again, like watching like, um, jungle of stone, you, you mentioned Oriana, like traveling up and down the rivers and like seeing all these cultures, like, is it, is it really just like his presence and the presence of these diseases that wiped them out that when the Spanish returned and found them all gone, or is there another sort of, um, academia reason why they think maybe that happened? Um, well, it's tough. It's tough to say with a lot of certainty. Um, <clears throat> probably in, well, there's a lot of different reasons, but if we're talking about the Amazon, like Oriana going, you know, up and down the Amazon. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Him exposing him and, and it, you know, it wasn't just like he was on one boat. It was like a giant fleet of people. Sure. You know what I mean? It was a full on army going mm-hmm. up and down the Nile. Um, and uh god i don't know i the, the, it's been a year or so or so since i've seen these numbers but i want to say like it was maybe a thousand spaniards and something like nine thousand enslaved indigenous people it was like a ridiculous convoy yeah it, i mean yeah i mean it, the numbers are that big I, I could be somewhat wrong but it's like a colossal amount of people that were on this oh, expedition yeah. Moving and up so river. and so you can just imagine 
you have all these thousands of enslaved indigenous people that have been exposed to these, you know, European diseases. Mm. Um, and how many of them escape the camps in the middle of the night and flee into local tribes and just bring those diseases into, into the local tribes. And so, you know, Oriana says, you know, he saw all these giant cities and everything. Um, and so you have, you know, hundreds of years, you know, over the next centuries, all of these um, Spanish accounts and legends of, you know, all these huge cities these with these giant stone walls, you know, raising up out of the jungle um, in these huge pyramids with, with millions upon millions of people living there. And they're getting bombarded by literal hordes of arrows um, every day uh, along the river. Um and then, and then European explorers arrive, you know, so that's, that's the 1530s that he does that. Mm-hmm. And then European explorers arrive, uh, I, I don't know, as early as the late 1700s, definitely the 1800s and definitely the early 1900s. Um, yeah. there are tons of people exploring the Amazon who are all like, it was all a lie. There, there was nothing here. Sure. No, they just all died. Well, yeah, lidar <laughs> lidar comes along and boom. I mean, what did we? You know, what just just uh, a month ago they found. Um, yeah, was it a thousand structures, six thousand structures in Ecuador? I've never um, seen that. And, and dude, that's just on the peripheral of the Amazon. That's not even deep into the Amazon. That's so, so crazy. Um, so now the estimates are at least twenty million people were living in the Amazon. Uh, during the time that Oriana arrived and disease leapt ahead of any of the armies and literally decimated all of the civilization. And, and I think that that's a realistic uh, enough yeah. um, explanation because it wasn't just yeah, one so disease. So when people come a couple hundred years later, they're like, where'd they all go? Where were yeah, they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it wasn't just one disease. It was like it was like a wave, or it was waves of about two dozen diseases that swept across all of the Americas, and um, and I find that re- pretty realistic because it's like the same scenario across all of the ancient Americas. Like even mm-hmm. even Alaskan um, natives, okay. your uh, your Eskimos, are mm-hmm. just. Their cities, their little igloo, you know, village cities that are uh, ice fishing, you know, villages or whatever that are there. By the time people arrived there in the 1800s, the vill- the the ruins of the villages are there, but nobody's there. You know right. what I mean? So it's just like poof, they all disappeared. Well, they all got sick and died. You know? Yeah. And uh, and so when they see these bad spirits like killing off all the people that are around them, like, oh damn, I got to get out of here. So they go to the next to the nearest village to find refuge and they infect everyone. They're incubating it. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. it just it's just growing and growing and growing. And it's multiple diseases like, you know, what I mean, there's just new convoys of Europeans coming every single year. Every month there's new people coming from Europe that are bringing in diseases that they got from Asia and Africa, you know, so. The traders that are along the Mediterranean Sea are bringing, you know, from Asia and Africa are bringing things, which all of this comes from rats, by the way. Um, All of these all of these diseases come from rats that lived um, that live along riversides. So rats, you know, rats in water harbors disease. And Uh so the rats along the Nile created the bubonic plague. So like the black, the, 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 um, 
the bubonic plague of like the Middle Ages. Yeah, that Black Death started. That started along the Nile River, and so mm. Ubos was a noted thing in like 1500 BC. Um, mm. And so that started along the Nile River. It also started along the twin rivers, you know, the Euphrates and the Tigris River. And then we can imagine that it's also happening in the Indus Valley and everywhere else that people are living in these similar kind of areas with these rats. And so those diseases start there and then they spread up into Europe. Um, And then um, so, um, yeah, so all the Europeans that are trading along the Mediterranean getting goods out of Asia and Africa are bringing diseases through the Mediterranean across the Atlantic and exposing them to people who didn't have these urbanized societies that harbor diseases. Mm -hmm. And so their immune systems are not at all equipped to this. So they die instantly. Um, And then it, and then it's just a multiple, it's a, just a ton of different diseases that swept across. And so, you know, to be able to like for immunologists or whatever, uh, to be able to go back and study these diseases is like almost impossible. Um, but they're able to, I don't know, they kind of piece it together through some literary literary sources that it's like just of north of 20 different diseases wiped out North, Central, wow. and South America. So, yeah. I mean, first off, that's, that's freaking amazing. But um, for a, a group of people like them who, you know, had a massive priest class and you know gods and um put so much emphasis on you know religion i guess like Mm -hmm. what can you paint like a picture of like how they would have like dealt tried to deal with this internally like recognizing holy shit all these people in our culture are dying like what would they have done like obviously we just went through something right as Mm -hmm. as a modern group of people and we see what like we did like what painting a picture would they have done to try and like turn the tide to, to work against this and, you know, in their own ancient way. Um, well, I mean, um, they probably thought it was similar to a volcano weapon and just thought God's getting, like they start yeah, like, yeah. mass, well, mass well, like praying sacrificing or, people. Or, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we know, um, I mean, there's a few different accounts of what they did. Right. So, we know that they were um, like in mass fleeing the cities where, where sickness is breaking out. Um, and when they're doing that, they're just bringing the sickness to, to, uh, to other cities. Well, also what's happening are the Spaniards that are there are going, you know why you're all sick, right? You know why you're all dying, right? It's because you don't believe in Jesus. And so you need to convert to Christianity and you will be healed. And so to combat, you know, this sickness, they all became Christian or they all became Catholic, you know. Uh-huh. And so the they Catholic Church needed new people to, you know, farm and go collect and mine gold and collect and mine, you know, good resources so they can send it back to Spain because Spain is at Spain is in the middle of all these different wars in Europe and they need income. Um, so they're, you know, they're helping fund the Vatican church as well. You know, that's a whole rabbit hole to go down. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, a lot of them became Christian to try to escape the disease. And, uh, I don't think it, I don't think it worked very well because, um, because the priests were baptizing all of the people in buckets of water. So all of the sick people dunk their face with all their germs in a bucket and you have six thousand people literally literally 
literally, I'm not making up that number, 6,000 people dumping their each of their faces in one bucket and giving in each of them are getting the disease and they all die. Um, and so they're, so that, that's kind of, they didn't really have a lot of options, you know, like yeah, <laughs> they were facing, they were facing the end of their world. There's, there isn't right. a way to survive. Um, gosh, man, almost none of them survived. I mean, they really didn't, you know, by the time, by the time you get to your cowboy and Indian, um, you know, stage of, of, of America, like yeah, there's there's not a lot of native people. Um, there's not a lot of native people left in South America or Central America to Mexico. There's there's not a lot of native people left. Um, and the only reason that that there were a lot left in North America, um, was just because it was populated, you know, by by um uh, by Europeans like a bit later, and their civilizations were less progressed and less able to. Uh, surmount armies to attack, you know, the Europeans, which also um, didn't make the Europeans think that they had a lot of resources because they weren't super uh. developed. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so like when you, you know, when they're exploring the coastlines, you know, mm-hmm. from Florida, they're they're seeing people, but they're not seeing much that looks like their own civilization. Eventually, they get down to Mesoamerica. Boom! You're seeing buildings now. That's a lot yeah. more attractive. So North America kind of gets neglected. So the disease does spread up there. It does kill, you know, 90 plus percent of people by the time that our ancestors get there, even though I didn't have anybody that, that was in, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. well, no, I mean, I, I did kind of, but, um, you know, I guess by our ancestors, um, the cowboys arrive, you know, sure. um, it's kind of more like you have the remnants of, the native Americans who lived here um, that are at war with people who are establishing the colonies, you know? Um, and so then um, a lot of those natives are now, you know, let's say we're in like the early 1800s or mid 1800s during the gold rush. So now manifest destiny, we're, you know, sweeping over all of, uh, you know, moder- what is modern day United States. Um, uh-huh. A lot of the natives that are alive at that time, they have immunity. You know, they're, they're by, at this point they're okay. So now they're just clashing with, you know, the colonists or, you know, uh, uh, like the frontiersmen. And so that's, uh, so their only option at that point had like better immunity than, uh, I guess the native Americans probably had better immunity than like the central Americans and South Americans just because they came like their ancient, they came from Asia, like, you know, technically they came across like a land bridge or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I don't don't think they came too far down or maybe intertwined with the central Americans to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. Well that, that in that and uh, and they're just the people who happen to survive. Like, like, okay. So, so, so North America, good one, (laughs) North, North America disease reached it. European disease reached it eventually about mm-hmm. um, over the course of about a hundred years, it kind of crept up because when you're looking at Mexico, as it connects to Texas, most of it is Chihuahuan desert, except for a little mm. patch of green that attaches to Texas and then goes up through Texas over to like Louisiana up into your green, you know, Southeastern United States where mm. a whole lot of people lived. So yeah. when disease reached there, 
And then you also have DeSoto that, that does his expeditions through there. So they were exposed to disease. And when they were exposed, they were all wiped out. Like mm-hmm. ni- you know, more than 90% mm-hmm. of them were wiped out. But um, they didn't pose the kind of threat where they needed like um, – where Europeans felt like they needed to commit like complete genocide on the population to get rid of the threat. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I mean, they did that later on to North Americans, but, but North Americans just were given the chance to survive longer. And so they did. And so Mm -hmm. there were small pockets that survived all the disease and eventually, you know, their children's 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 were immune to these diseases had the same immunity now as Europeans. Now it's just a battle for territory, if that makes sense. So then, mm-hmm. you know, you get the you get the stories of like the Apaches and the Comanches and and just these little surviving tribes. You know that we think of as these big tribes, they were nothing. They were just they were just the remnants, and they were fierce people too. You know, so that's why they get the, that's why they get this idea of like being savages. Well, yeah, dude, they literally just went through the end of the world. The only mm-hmm. people left are the tough your, ones are the tough <laughs> ones. And so um, and so, you know, and I mean, there were other peaceful tribes. Maybe they weren't so much peaceful as they were just scared. Um, sure. But um, but then, you, you know, you get to your age of like, well, now either these natives are going to become white. Essentially, you know, they're going to become culturally white and assimilate into European society or they're going to ambush, you know, uh, frontiersmen camps and steal their horses and guns. And now you have our our iconic, you know, the last stand for the the last stand for the West. You know what I mean? Uh, At least for natives to control their land. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of their that's kind of from beginning to end. That's kind of their reaction to you know, um, I guess colonization. I mean, I, that, that world, that word is so like radicalized nowadays, but that, that was their reaction to colonization, you know, mm-hmm. um, more so, I don't know. Colonization is like this. It's funny. Like people, people attribute colonization to, uh, the, to Western Europeans colonizing the Americas. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they use colon, colon, colonizers or whatever as this like, yeah strange slur but like uh, i think you just mean conquerors like literally Literally. anyone else literally anyone else that's ever existed what's the difference between what they did and what alexander the great did you know there's there's no difference at all it's just conquest that's that is the way of the world Mm -hmm. um right i don't know that that didn't have anything to do with what i was saying but i just I use the word colonizer, colonizer or colonization. I don't normally use that because it's so trivialized nowadays. Right. But, um, that would be like technically the right word to fit the time period, you know? Yeah. No, it's a, what you're saying reminds me of a quote um, by uh, it's from Cormac McCarthy's book, Blood Meridian. It says, war has always been here before man was war waited for him. The ultimate trade awaiting its ultimate practitioner. Yeah. And that's literally Every civilization, every group of humans ever, whether it's resources, women, whatever, mm-hmm. have always fought one another. It's like that movie. Remember what it, what it is? It's like the ancient Sumerian word for war was a need for more cows. Like mm-hmm. human sees what human wants. Human does what he needs to do to get it. You know, it's like war yep. happens in, in the primate world, too. I mean, we are primates, but you know. That's what I was just about to say. That's just what I was just about to say. Yeah. Yeah. Like 
large primates, they gather together in like mm-hmm. um, communities and they literally plan assaults and assassinations. Yeah. You know, like it, it you know, it's it, hardwired. If, if people believe, you know, um, if people believe in like the traditional theory of evolution, which is probably wrong in some ways, you know, whatever, but, um, before homo sapiens even existed, all of the prehistoric hominids were waging war on each other, assassinating one, one another, colonizing each other. It's not just animals like orcas do it. They like work together to like fight each other and get food. Dolphins. Yeah. Yeah. You can make the argument that, that attacking the other, you know, pod of orcas and taking over their hunting lands is a form of colonization because now you've eradicated them and moved into it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. And they like strategize. Like there's a, there's that, uh, it's not them against another like group of orcas, but it's them trying to get like one seal off a thing of ice. And it's like all these orcas going together to make a wave. Yeah, then yeah, yeah. Knock the one seal in so they can eat them. Yeah, like, yeah. That they strategize the of that. The they figured yeah. that out. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. It's just that is just the way of the world, and it's just it's amazing that people don't realize like, um, Ants like go to oh, war. It, it, we we're just we're we're now at a place where society and life is just so good that like yeah. the that people can't even acknowledge <laughs> people can't even acknowledge the harsh reality of what it means to be a human. You know what I mean? Right. Now, Lost now touch. people, now people, um, <laughs> there's a great title of a chapter in the book called emperor of Rome. And it's about mm-hmm. like, you know, Roman society gets so large and so grandiose. And, and for the people living in Rome, it's so peaceful that, mm-hmm. um, people start to like lose a sense of reality. And at the end of the, uh, one of, uh, one of the chapters at the end of the book is, is called, I think I'm becoming a God. And it's so, that's what people in first world countries think of today. They think, Oh my God, dude, they think that they're like (laughs) ethereal deities that, Mm -hmm. that kind of don't the, the rules of, of nature and, don't really apply to them. They're kind yeah, of above yeah. the, they're kind of above nature and they can look down their nose on the rest of the world. Like they, they mm-hmm. think they're becoming a God and, and you know, mm-hmm. it's like the, the, the ego and the ignorance of first world culture is what will bring about the end of it. You know, just yeah. like it, just like it always has, you know? Um, so it, well, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Hellenistic world, you know, like it, it is the ideal, it's the, um, it's the ideal sort of civilization where they're not really warring against each other. There's some bad stuff going on. You know, mm-hmm. there's assassination and poisoning and this, that, and the other, but it's not like this vicious waging war and collapsing empires against each other. But what happens? The next guy who hasn't yet reached his Hellenistic peak is about mm-hmm. to come in and whoop your ass because you forgot to keep your edge that gave you what yeah. you have. You know? mm-hmm. I've said this a few times. It's like the line from uh, Dark Knight Rises when Bane is talking to Batman. He says, victory has defeated you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, what's yeah, happening yeah. to Americans yeah. as well. Like, Because like, what you're talking about, this like ego and like seeing yourself as like a god, so to speak, 
yeah, it's Western, but like America is like the hyper version of that. Cause like having spent enough time around like Europeans or other, like, like you could argue, like obviously like Japan is in the East, but like for all intents and purposes, Japan is a very Western culture too. Yeah. Like what mm-hmm. you're describing is how, you know, the Japanese and like Europeans talk about America and they share the same attributes in some way, but like the United States is that like cubed. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's crazy how much that is like uh, it just, and then like, if we're saying like America is like the realm of our time, like everything we do influences everybody else. Like these mm-hmm. things spill over and people critique mm-hmm. us as a culture because our culture infiltrates their culture. And these are the things they complain about, about the United States. And, you know, it's, it's, there's, a lot, of, too. there's yeah, a lot of parallels that? between like ancient, 100%. Like the fall of ancient Rome and like where the U S is today. Like, yeah. When ancient Rome was about to fall, they were like worried about like a lot of like more sexual stuff, like gender identity, like they were going down that route and then all of a sudden Invaders. You know, they fell cuz yeah, it, it's it's like similar to what's going on now. And sure. it, it goes to that like quote where it's like uh, uh strong men create um good times, easy times. Good times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good times. Good times create Weak uh, men, I, weak men yeah, create weak, hard times. Hard times, hard times strong times men. create strong men. Yeah, yeah. 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 It just that cycle over and over again. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, and the 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 phrase for um like the rise and fall of civilization, it's like uh uh dawn to decadence to debauchery. You know, and oh, okay. and then and that's kind of uh that's kind of how I mean that's kind of how civilizations work. And I mean, if people talk about people talk about all the time that um uh that you know the u.s kind of reflects the rise and fall of rome which it does um but but rome i mean like like we were talking about earlier um it's not the it's really not the only example of that i mean there's just Mm -mm. there's just it's like every civilization and 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 rome was you know at one point they were the people coming in and conquering Hellenistic society that had taken mm-hmm. over the world and then got comfortable. And then Rome came and then Rome did the same thing. And what's interesting is um, what's interesting is the, um, the, gr- the Greek world, um, like the Greco Egyptian Greco Asian world, that Hellenistic uh, empire. Um, who did they beat up on the most? It was ancient Italy. So like the Etruscans mm-hmm. and the Etruscans. other Italians. Um, and you can call them the Romans, but that kind of comes a little, little bit later. Um, yeah. But they're beating up on Italy and mm-hmm. they're beating up on Sicily and Syracuse all the time. And then, so who come, you know, who comes for them eventually it, it's Rome, you know, Rome, like the culmination of, of Italian society eventually comes for the Hellenistic Greek world. Right. And then, and then, who are the Greeks? Literally massacring their whole civil, the whole period of their civilization are the barbarians or the or the right. barbers, you know, the Gauls or whoever it wants to be. Who was it that sacked Rome? The barbarians, yeah. You know, so it's just, it's just like, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels there. Like, uh, you know, a lot of the. I guess without getting too modern, a lot of the places that the U.S. shouldn't be involved in, uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of places that we go in and disrupt and and topple, are that is going to be the reason that we fall. You know, those are yeah. going to be the people who come for us in the end. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. And, well, it's, I think it just goes back to your thought earlier about how we're all just humans. And this, these cycles are created and they are the way they are because human behavior, while does change over time, doesn't necessarily change completely. Human beings yeah. just do new things with new tools and new times. You know, it's just the same yeah. shit over and over and over again. That's why, the, future. why the ancient Aztecs, the ancient Egyptians were drawing the same designs on their walls. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Without ever talking to each other, they're just following the same cycle because it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nature. yeah. So yeah, so that's that's kind of um I guess bringing it back to everything, that's I think that I think that it's it's a mix of being intrinsically human also with like uh consuming similar substances and mm-hmm. um and and also, man, like, you know, I really would not be surprised if there's a whole field of science out there that Tesla kind of um, alludes to. And he was like, if you, if you, he's like, if you want to make more discovery in 10 years than you would in 10 decades or something like that, mm-hmm. um, you should focus on what is it like, like waves and and uh, gosh, I forget what the quote is, but he's I've like, I've heard what you're talking about. Like, and wa- I don't, like waves and head. vibrations and, and mm-hmm. things like that. Frequencies. And he thought he thought that his mind was a um god what is it um he thought that his mind was re- was basically receiving signals from the universe you know mm-hmm. um and so there's a thought out there that like um i think he was yeah yeah there, there's there's a thought out there that we are all connected through mm-hmm. like like our brains are receivers you know like they're like they're like mm-hmm. radios kind of and yeah. uh, and they're sending signals back and forth and we're all connected on a plane that we can't comprehend well yet. so there's a there's a precedence for this and we've talked about it on a few other episodes right so like the the concept of the muse and getting into mm-hmm. that sort of headspace where the the creative aspect of you is coming from somewhere else and you're the conduit it's coming through and i referenced this before conduit. too jimmy yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah jimmy hendrix talks about it when he gets in that place he called it the electric church right and it's where like the muse flowed through him that and it became the music demons, though it could be, but and then Zach and I have talked about kidding. this before too. Yeah. I mean, but but to bring that into it, right? Uh, Jack or Jack Parsons, we've talked about him on the podcast quite a few times. He was into all these different crazy rituals with Aleister Crowley, who's a famous Satanist, mm-hmm. and then L. Ron Hubbard, who is the founder of Scientology, and. He 100% said that he was receiving information and downloading it, which is why he was able to do a lot of the physics that he did to earn himself the title of the father of American rocketry. And obviously he died under these crazy, mysterious circumstances and all this other shit, you know. So I think what you're saying is true that there is sort of a um, maybe a uh, I don't want to call it like a I guess you could call it a consciousness, you know, that exists that you can tap into. Um, but you have to like really be able to get your mind into those frequencies and those waves. Like you're talking about, like what Tesla was saying to be able to, to download that info, which is why I really want to have fucking Diana Pasolka on here to talk about this. Cause she really, really hits, hits on it in her, her two books encounters in American cosmic. But do you yeah, think it'd be kind of like a, do you think it'd be kind of like a hive mind in a way? We're like, it's I don't just think like it's a hive mind. I think it's almost like to use to talk about like libraries. It's like a it's like a universal library of info that you can mm. 
tap into it's not because like hive mind is like it makes me think of like crowds and the way people behave you know like this is like something you have to get into the mind space for and like i said it's 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 the ancient concept of the muse taking over your body and you're just the conduit for this force and it's making you paint or write like even beethoven talked about it like making him write music you know it's not him it's something else yeah i i, I will say um i'll say this and I think this like maybe my closing thought. Um, mm-hmm. I think um, I think in my life, as I don't know, as potentially vain as it is to say, um, when I was a kid, gosh, am I having deja vu? I feel like I, I feel like I touched on this the last time we spoke. Um, yeah, but, your your destiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When when I was a kid that was sometimes like my only prayer as a kid that I would live a mm-hmm. life that was like a movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> and, and as I've set down this path of like, I don't know, just making videos about ancient history. And, and I think I, I expressed the sentiment last time that it's a lot more personal to me than just making YouTube videos. It's like a journey that I'm, that I'm going on. And it's yeah. like this deep intrinsic, like thing in my soul that might, that like this ancient world like calls to me. I don't know. It's just, it's a strange thing. Um, <clears throat> everything that has unfolded, all the people I've met and all the connections that I've made. Um, I don't know. As weird as it is to say, it's not weird, um, bro. I, I predicted all of it. I knew all of it would happen. Every single thing that's happened, even some of the things that are going on right now that I can't talk about the way a lot of it has, has unraveled and the people that I've met and been exposed to, um, I predicted all of it and I knew that mm-hmm. all of it would happen. And it's kind of a weird thing because I'll like tell my wife like months before, you know, and not in just in a way, not in a kind of way. I was like, Oh, I know this is going to happen. It would just be, I talk, I'd be talking to her and be like, like, and I, I think that this could happen. And, and, you know, and I was kind of like predicting Manifest it all, destiny. but it was almost, it, it was almost like I, it was almost like, and you hear other people talk about this, and and I and I kind of believe it was that I believed it so much that the world had to move out of my way because my will was stronger than the will of everyone else around me, and there was no other way that things were going to turn out. Because mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Does that make any kind of sense? It was like, like I believe it well, so much that the world had to get out of my way. It I've does because of my life like that. I wouldn't say my whole life has that, but there's definitely been times where I'm like, no, I'm just going to do this and get it done and nothing's going to stop it. And it just falls into place. Isn't that crazy? I used to joke that I had like the, I used to call it the best worst luck because like horrible things would happen, but then it would like rebound to be like the best possible outcome. Mm -hmm. And it's like, in that moment, you're like, man, this really sucks. But then, like, you think about it, and you're like, actually, never mind. Like, if I had not done that, that worst thing hadn't happened, then this amazing thing wouldn't have happened. It's like, it's a, like you're paying a cosmic debt to get something better on the other yeah. end. Yeah, yeah. But dude, Luke, like, for what you're talking about, man, it's it's you're not. This is there's again, there's a precedent for it through other people throughout history. Like, think of like like General Patton. Like, the man literally thought he was a reincarnated Roman general. And just yeah, some of the yeah. things he wrote about and talked about, like, it sounds exactly like what you're saying. Like, I'm yeah. going to be this person. I'm going to do this. Like, he just knew 
that this was his destiny. He saw himself commanding armies in World War II, and he saw him new. Just like this is, I've done this before. I've lived this before. This is my destiny. Yeah. I'm going to be victorious. And that just this again, this like consciousness tapped into that you know, kind of guided him into those things to where, and it gave him sort of that reassurance. And that, that may be that reassurance, like is what keeps you going to know that this yeah, is yeah. going to happen and not give up on it's what like you're the, talking about. It's like the avatar state. You guys ever watch avatar, the last airbender? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking uh, well, about? Yeah. When I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it only the avatar can do this, but like he can like get thoughts or feelings or interactions from his previous general, mm-hmm. like avatars. Yeah, back. Yeah, 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 so yeah. maybe it's, with the general path thing where like he can connect to his previous thing and get could um, be yeah yeah experience from and ideas and everything <clears throat> yeah cool. yeah well and it's also you know i'm i it, when i say that also in the back of my mind i'm like i'm like okay well also it could just be that i have like brainwashed myself into believing that so when i come into situations it's a good thing though <laughs> People see how confident you are about something, and then mm-hmm. they and then they trust you because most people aren't that confident. And then they go, they go, okay, well, he thinks he can do it, so and I don't think I can do it, so let's let him do it. And then you just get your way, you know what I mean? And yeah. so, Patton being an an actual like psycho, um, but but a brilliant general and like one of our best generals, but just a, a psycho, yeah. uh, you know, I'm sure that a lot of people are like, okay, okay, you go right along, you know, you mm-hmm. go right along. Uh, I think, you know, eventually somebody, uh, I think eventually he was like stopped or forced out of the military or something. I don't know his, his, his history that well, but, um, but, um, yeah, I think it's like, um, you know, nowadays if I were to, you know, say I were to get on like a, like a public forum nowadays and talk about that, a lot of people will go, well, I get what you're saying about how you feel like it's this deeper cosmic meaning but really it's probably just your belief in yourself that gives you the motivation to keep going and other people believe it too because you believe in yourself so much so people move out of your way and and you get your way but all of the genius people all throughout ancient history that achieved so much all believed that there was a cosmic significance to things Mm -hmm. and and when i dude when i sit here and i'm staring it, exactly, exactly. It, when I when I sit here and I'm s- thinking about the fact that I'm on this podcast talking to you guys and I'm looking at the wall and I'm realizing that I am actually a living being and I'm not just huh? this microphone, um, it's really hard for me to imagine that I am here by an accident. It's a lot easier to believe that everything exists uh-huh. on purpose. Right. You know, and that, you know, you know what I mean? Is it more likely mm-hmm. that I am an accident and I am just, I am just one of the luckiest things, one of the you luckiest know, organisms that's ever existed? Or is it more likely that I was always going to exist? You know what I mean? Well, the, the I, odds I think of it's, any of being born is one in 400 trillion. I think that it's a combination <laughs> yeah, exactly. of, of both, Luke, because energy um, never dies, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's always there. Yeah. So to say like... And you could, this is almost like a pseudo religious conversation now, because you could talk about like, um, you know, reincarnation, so to speak. Right. And mm-hmm. if your molecules and your energy, because that's all we are, is pretty much just water and electricity has always been here on this planet in the universe. Then like, of course you've lived this before. And of course that you're manifesting your, yeah. you know, your destiny and living it and all of this other stuff. But 
Um, one of the best things I've heard, and I heard this recently, they talk about like people like thinking and like thinking your uh, reality into existence mm-hmm. is like, obviously you're familiar with the, the concept of you are what you think, you know, and you yeah, become yeah. what you think. So when you pray, you're praying for something you want, right? And in everything in life, there is like a duality to it. Kind of what Zach was talking about, like going through something shitty and getting something better is like paying a cosmic debt. When you worry about stuff, you're thinking about it in the same way that you do if you're praying for something you want or praying for something better. And so those thoughts, essentially, when you worry about negative shit, you're kind of praying for it in that way because you're still tapping into the same sort of wavelength that you are when you're praying for it. So I don't think there's a separation there between you thinking what you want or you thinking of it's it's like that quote, right? You, you meet your destiny on the road to avoid it, right? Because you're worrying about it and in turn you're manifesting it. And whether that's because you're going to take the steps to, to get there either way or what, I think that the way that you feel, Luke, specifically, is is a positive way. And because of that, I don't think it's just your thoughts. I think that there's something else there, especially when you mm-hmm. talk about like, some of the stuff we talked about, like your grandfather mm-hmm. and some of the other things you have going. You know, like I, I do. I think that there is, a, is an aspect of like predetermination, even though that kind of goes against the concept of free will. But then also there's that aspect of total randomness that you're in it because we're all just kind of colliding here in life in general, like what the, like what Zach was saying, like the odds Mm -hmm. of the three of us meeting at some point, whether it's over the internet or Zach and I meeting in a, in a East African country, right. Mm -hmm. To make this happen. It's kind of fucking crazy, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, when you guys get your in-person studio, I want to be one of the, uh, I want to be like one of the uh, maiden guests, like the, one of the first guests. That'd be fun. Would that Zach would that line here? up within uh within twenty three episodes from now? Does that line up? <laughs> Either way, yeah. No, when Zach when Zach moves here, we'll we'll have in person and we'll get well, you we here, could, bro. We could do, it doesn't have to be in order. We could just film it and then you put it out and in like yeah, yeah, yeah. right, right. But no, yes, absolutely, dude. I, I, I wanted to. Love, we'll we'll have you here and you'll be in person. You can be like one of the maiden, like you said, dude. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I wanted Too to fucking t- easy. We'll get talking in person. I'd love, I would that, love and, that, and Halo split, split and screen. Halo. Okay, triple split screen where one so person like the gets cardboard the boxes top. and shit. Yeah. Like yeah, stop yeah, the yeah. fucking screen looking, Luke. <laughs> yeah, screen. yeah, yeah. Um, you were talking about like matter can't be uh, created nor destroyed. It's like always there, and it just like recycles, mm-hmm. right, Brandon? They remind me of the thing I read like a couple months ago. I just relooked it back up, but it's talking about uh, the mother trees, and there is like a study going on where they believe that like. Uh, like the seed of the tree and then it, mm-hmm. it makes a new tree. Uh, they've noticed that there's like a lot of similarities with how those trees grow and mm. compared to like their ancestor trees. So it's like, a, it's almost kind of like genetic trees, but these have been going on for like ever. And it's like the whole like matter being created or destroyed. So like the tree makes a new tree and it keeps going on, but it's like technically the same tree. It's still the, original tree just constantly wow. regrowing. It's like making a sourdough bread starter. You just constantly use the same sourdough yeah. starter. It's the yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But like the studies are talking about how like these trees they remember memories from like thousands of years ago from those trees. Because mm. like they can like study the stumps and stuff. I don't know how exactly they're doing this trees but uh, I remember like reading about it. Ants. Yeah, I remember reading about it though and they were like showing how 
like these trees are having like in a way memories of their ancestral trees, mm-hmm. like in how they grow and how they do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's all we are, bro. We're like fucking electric water computers and we just store everything. <laughs> like that. That's what I think, man. Stressful Who knows? Computers. We don't have the answers, man. We don't have the answers. You know, God, I, that's what I think. God made us all and, you know, he knows what, what he was doing. And uh, it's just, I mean, that's just my thoughts. But next time you're on, Luke, I yeah. want to hear more about this um, Mayan Fertile Crescent. We didn't get the chance to talk about it. That that really uh, interested me. This whole thing interests yeah, me, yeah. dude. You're one of the most interesting people we talked to. And uh, I'm very down, even though we did the whole Donnie Most thing at the beginning, <laughs> for you to come back before the next 23rd episode yeah, you yeah. know, and hear more about it. But yeah, dude, thank you so much again for coming on. It is always a pleasure. This is these are my favorite conversations to have because I mean, I know, you know, like I have a passion for history and just learning and learning about it from people that also have a passion, which is obviously who you are, bro. So thank you so much for coming on again. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, um, I don't take, um, I don't take like podcast requests from, from everybody, but, um, Mm -hmm. Uh, you guys on the on the first podcast, you caught me at a good time, and I really enjoyed talking to you guys. And um, and you have like um, I don't know, um, it's okay when people want to just like they don't know anything about the, my world at all and don't mm-hmm. have like a whole lot of interest in it, but they just want to I don't know pick my brain for a couple hours or whatever. But yeah, talking to you guys, there's like a feedback. You know what I mean? There's, mm-hmm. there's a, you guys care about the world that I exist in as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, 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 Definitely. In, it's interesting to you as I came with fire, you know, references. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I, I'll always come back and I'd like to be a regular guest, you know, it'd be, it'd be Absolutely. fun, you know? Um, and definitely when you guys get the in-person studio, I, I would, yes. it'd be fun to, it'd be fun to come out to California and hang out with you guys and, uh, you know, go out to dinner, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. I'll pick we'll up have... the airport, uh, in the Raptor. Yeah, man. Yeah. That'd be awesome, dude. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll have to have like a Saturday night, like, you know, bros sitting in the living room with a bowl of fucking ice cream, just playing video games and talking shit, you know? Uh, awesome. yes, I would absolutely love that. I haven't done, yes. I haven't done that specific thing in so long. I would love yeah, to do that. Yeah, a land party. Deal, deal, bro. <laughs> deal. Yeah, yes. But cool, hey, thank you, thank you guys so much again, and uh, and we'll definitely come back on. Hell yeah! Well, uh, thank you everybody for tuning in again to I Came with Fire podcast. And um, Zach, it's nice to see you see you back too. And um, you gents have a good night.